Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is our Sunday baseball conversation with Colin Brister as Ole Miss takes two of three from the Auburn Tigers to kick off SEC play. We got into a lot of different stuff. The insustainable starting pitching, uh, the offense really just blowing up Auburn's, I would say, average to back half of their pitching staff and an emphatic win on Sunday, the lethargic, or excuse me, on Saturday, lethargic loss on Friday, and uh, everything in between. So good conversation there. It's good to have SEC play back. I've always enjoyed this uh, this time of year as well. And uh, we talked a little college hoops and then took your questions. And then I got to, um, I got to a couple of non-baseball related mailbag questions there at the tail end of the pod. But um, so great show for you, but buckle up. And then before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. What a weekend of basketball it was. Skybox went 10-6, and six, I saw, on Friday, still totaling up their score uh, totals from the weekend and Saturday. And Sunday, saw they hit a couple of max unit plays yesterday. Hopefully, you took advantage of that. This is Skybox's bread and butter. This is the best time of the year. Um, maybe some of you who didn't use Skybox Sports Picks you know, waking up, listening to this podcast, wondering when the man's going to text you, how you're going to make that work. Skybox can eliminate that for you. Go to uh, their website, skyboxsportspicks.com. Check out their picks package. They're going to have a package to fit your price range, whether it's month long, season long. You still get the Skybox March Madness package into the second week. Use the promo code MADNESS. You get 25% off. For all other purchases, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. You get 20% off. Don't be the guy that's having to pay the bookie today. Skybox will ensure that the bookie is paying you more consistently than anyone else, and they will consistently lead you to profit in the long run, no matter the sport. But right now in particular, it is their bread and butter season. I saw they had a huge weekend on NASCAR as well, in addition to March Madness. So don't make the same mistake again next weekend for those Sweet 16 games and Elite 8 games. Use Skybox and profit and recoup all the money you lost over the weekend by not using Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. And I want to remind you, the podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. It's simple. Go see Greg, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week and discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Just go in there, show him proof of subscription to the newsletter. He'll get you set up, and then go find your own favorites. There's all kinds of delicious stuff at LB's. Had a mailbag question about uh, some sort of sausage. Um, recommendation for LBs. I guarantee you Greg will do his best to go get it because that's what he does. He wants to make your grilling experience great. All kinds of fresh seafood, crab stuffed mushrooms, different cuts, filet burgers, the lane train special, some of my personal favorites over there. You need to go find your own LBs University Avenue, soon to be in the central Mississippi area. We, it's, uh, it's about time we got that um, Glugstat location there opening up. I'll have more details for that on that for y'all this week. Check them out, LBs University Avenue, the best place in the world to get meat. All right, here is Colin Brister for our usual Sunday SEC slash Ole Miss baseball conversation. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. We are here to discuss Ole Miss's series win over Auburn, talk about some SEC stuff, but uh, it is this time of year again. We have an SEC baseball series 
to recap and discuss felt like everything else leading up to this was kind of the prelude to I don't want to call it like the real season but uh like conference plays finally here and you're finally starting to like learn stuff about the team what's up man not much yeah it's kind of like kind of what it felt like this was the first series that I've gotten to watch pretty much every pitch uh of all three games I'll be honest I didn't watch the end of Friday night because there was no point um but yeah it was uh it's kind of the first time you learned about stuff about Ole Miss but in the same vein it's like what did we learn? Because at the end of the day, they won two games that weren't particularly close. So, um, yeah, I feel like you know a little bit more about Ole Miss than you did the first four weekends. But uh, still, I mean, there's still roles and things that have to get decided over the next nine weeks before this team heads to Hoover. Yes, there definitely are. And there's a, a number of places we could start. But I guess before we go back to the Friday game, because the Saturday one's kind of still fresh on our – excuse me, the Thursday game. But, like, this – the kind of series – I guess outlook in the uh, the end of the Saturday game still fresh on the mind. That was an important win for them on Saturday. Look, there's <laughs> ten of these weekends. We talked. We were texting about this before the game, though. Either Friday night, or early Saturday morning. Look, there's ten of these weekends. If they had lost this series, was it the end of the world? No, of course not by any stretch. But if you just look at the way they open SEC play, we talked about them getting a pretty sizable gift in terms of kind of easing into the SEC schedule. A lot of their you know, perceived harder series are at the end of the year. You lose this one, all of a sudden you get a red-hot Tennessee club at home. And then if you're two and four with a road trip to Kentucky staring you in the face, that's a, that's a weird place to be. This was an important uh, game for them yesterday. And to respond the way they did offensively, I thought showed some toughness as well. Yeah, uh, especially – you know, here's what you've got to consider, too, is, is Auburn threw their best guy yesterday. I thought Trace Bright the first time through the order was really, really good. Um, he, he, he still has a sub-2 ERA, a sub-1 whip, even after yesterday's performance. He had been really good for Auburn, and Auburn wanted to keep him on Saturday. That's why they kind of altered their rotation. I know Gonzalez had the blister issue, but they throw their midweek guy kind of on Thursday. And they keep Bright where he is. That, that was what a Friday night arm, maybe a lower level, but that is what a Friday night arm looks like in the sleep. Um, and Ole Miss did what it had to do to, to kind of run him off the field. And then they took advantage of a bullpen that wasn't very good. Um, I, I thought Saturday was very, very impressive from Ole Miss. Look, Auburn, Auburn's not a great baseball team. I think at best they're probably a three seed. Uh, I think more than likely they're, they're an 11 seed in the SEC tournament that probably misses the NCAA tournament by two games. But still, I mean, it's a place that Ole Miss had won a series since 09. They don't particularly play well there. And especially, I mean, when you, you know, combine the fact of what happened on Friday um, and that embarrassment of a game and, and then what happened on Saturday, that's, that's a good sign for Ole Miss, I think. I'm right there with you on what uh, – you. I think you outlined the pitching part of that well and exactly what Auburn is. It, could that team – could I see them stealing a few games that they shouldn't getting hot and then being a three-seed somewhere? Yes, but I think he nailed it. I think they fall right on that. You know, if they do some work in Hoover, they probably sneak into the NCAA tournament. But, yeah. it, you know, if you made me bet on it, probably I would go against them making the NCAA tournament. But not a bad club by any means that it pitched the ball pretty well this year. And Ole Miss, for, you know, 18 innings of it, destroyed uh, destroyed them pretty much up and down the pitching staff. Let's um let's rewind. Let's go to the fr- – sure. th- I'm going to say Friday game 19 times. Let's go to game uh, I, I do want to say one thing before we get started. Was outside of a sweep, was this the best possible scenario for Ole Miss? I mean, I'm nitpicking here, but if they'd have lost the Friday game six five instead of nineteen to five, see, I that think that's worse. Better for the uh, like fan outlook, but yeah, no. No, I, I think. I mean, this look, this is mission accomplished, and you know, we can. 
I mean, this is probably a good, a good way to kind of put a bow on like the macro stuff before we dive into it. Because I texted you this, either you or Chase this on at the end of the weekend. Like, yes, this team has like problems, but this offense is going to allow them to solve some of these issues or at least try to figure them out without the losses piling up. So to me, well, that's, that's, that's kind of what I meant, like despite the flaws. So I think it was best case that they did get run off the field 19 to 5 because Mike, look, Mike has been notorious as long as they're winning. He's not going to change stuff. That is true. I don't, I don't think he's given an option at this point. Um, think you got to get Diamond off of, off of the second game. And, you know, that's what I meant by it forces Mike to make a move there, and you also won two games on the road. So, obviously, would you prefer to win three? Sure. But outside of winning three, it forces you to fix what you need to fix, and also you won a road series. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I uh, but like, I, I, This isn't even really a counterpoint. But let's just say Diamond exits. What's that? They, Ole Miss is down – like four or five to one when he exits, right? He makes it three yeah. and a third. He ends up getting tagged for five runs. So I think one of those was inherited – or excuse me, one of those came in on uh, on Nichols, Nichols inheriting it. But yeah. point being, they were down four to one when he exited the game. Like, again, this is not even a counter. But if that game is, – is Ole Miss loses that game five to three or something, like the bullpen's better and kind of keeps them at bay or whatever – Um. Do you think Mike still thinks about a change? Because to me, even with the way it started on Thursday with Gaddis, it just seemed clear to me, you know, whether it was 19 to 5, 14 to 5, 10 to 5, what have you, that the starting pitching is unsustainable and he has to make a move. It's an interesting topic, like a hypothetical. Do you think he would have made a move regardless? I don't know. Um, I, I think Gaddis, maybe, maybe a little amped in his first SEC start. If you remember, his first start against, I believe, College of Charleston had a had a little bit of location loss, and then the next two to three weekends was really good. Um, I, I, you know, I, obviously, we both, I'm sure, think Gaddis will pitch next Friday against Tennessee. I just think at this point, I don't really know if it would have mattered what happened after Diamond. I just think that, that at this point, when you – when you, you know, talk about how well Jack pitched on – well, on, on Saturday, uh, he pitched well enough to keep on missing that game against a really good pitcher in Trace Bright. Um, I just kind of think Jack forces um, you to make that move um, to at least Sunday for Diamond. And then the question becomes, well, if he's already on Sunday, does Washburn or, or Elliott provide, provide more value on, on those days? And um, to me, the answer to that question is yes, but obviously Mike knows the intricacies of his team and baseball a lot better than I do. Yep, it's going to be fascinating to see how that shakes out. Speaking of, Gattis, let's just get right into this church sure. game. So Ole Miss comes out and they put up a um, – they put up I a – in the first inning and then three in the second, and you're sitting there thinking, all right, this is a great start. But this the, for the first six outs, respectively, 12 outs collectively in this game, this Took felt two like hours. a Sunday game between Ole Miss and Arkansas. Yeah, uh, real quick, how about, you know, Ole Miss having, what, the same lineup for – or the same leadoff guy for, like, 17 games in a row, and then just right before SEC played, Mike's like, I have an idea. Well, can you <laughs> – don't you have to pat him on the back for that? Did yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's, he was – because I was – I have it up right here. I, I kind of try to get five to six guys' numbers that I thought stuck out and see if it adds up. It's absurd. Yeah. He was five for ten, two home runs, four total walks, and seven runs scored. I think he would take that from a leadoff guy. He had a 2,000 OPS this weekend. It worked. Like <laughs> yeah, Absolutely it worked. Shetty was pretty good in the two-hole. Um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, look, like you said, the first 12 outs of that game took forever because Gaddis didn't have really good stuff, really didn't have fastball command, which if, like, we can sit here and talk about, always, you know, if you don't have something, you got to compete. Well, if John Gaddis doesn't have fastball command against good teams, then he's just kind of up creek um, because he throws 88 to 89. And, you know, so hopefully there's not many of those days where he can't control the fastball. Now, the worry, I guess, would be, well, it's two, two games in a row. And I get that. Um, something you're going to have to monitor next week against Tennessee. But, um, you know, I thought the important thing for this, this game was Gaddis did settle down, though, right? Yep. He did settle down. He was able to, after those first two innings, find some fastball command and, and able to get Ole Miss into the fifth inning where, you know, the lead kind of got out of hand and Ole Miss was able to save the bullpen. Yeah, you're exactly right. And you're sitting there, like, there's probably someone sitting out there listening, thinking, like, well, I hear fastball come in all the time. What exactly does that mean? Well, it can mean a couple of different things. But I thought the way Gaddis' start um, started versus how it folded, to use a great choice of words there, or finished, but to use a great choice of words there, is kind of encapsulates kind of the – the epitome of Gaddis and why, like, having fastball command is so important because Gaddis wasn't all over the place when he got hit the first two innings. The problem was he wasn't, like, on – that's a guy that kind of lives on the edges and his precision yeah. accuracy, particularly at the fastball, is really the difference maker with him. His wasn't, oh, God, he walked four dudes. His was he's throwing way too many fastballs over the center of the plate, one of whom to the uh, former future Beer Week softball legend – Desiree I love that for Auburn. He hit to one of those balls. I can't remember which one it was. It was the one off Friday. The one off Gaddis, like 500 feet. <laughs> Gaddis threw that pitch because I had seen this kid play a little bit and I knew he could hit. <laughs> he threw that pitch. I swear to God, out of his hand, I said, oh no, because I knew it was about to happen. That kid could rake. Um, but yeah, Gaddis just missed spots, man. You, he missed a spot there. He throws a fastball down the middle. So maybe the conference's best hitter right now. And uh, the guy did what he was supposed to do to it, hit it 485 feet. But, you know, look, Gaddis, like we said, the, the, the fastball command has to be there pretty much if he's going to have, you know, a good outing, the dominant outing. Um, and it wasn't. But like we, we also said, credit to him for in the third and the fourth inning. And I thought this was – and we'll get to Jack in a minute. I thought this was something big with Jack, too. Um, he was able to find it. He was able to battle through. Uh, without his without his a stuff, um, and which is on one hand what a Friday guy needs to do. On the other hand, Friday guys got to be able to have it most nights. Otherwise, you're gonna pitch your team out of the game. Ole Miss was a little lucky that that Auburn uh, didn't pitch it and sure didn't field it extremely well on Thursday night. But you know, you put up 13 runs, you deserve to win the game too. Absolutely. And as far as the the second inning was really when it felt like Gaddish got ambushed more. Right, the first one. Yeah. The first inning. He gets the uh, – he got a leadoff single, fly out to left center, but it's hard contact. And then Deshera, however you say it, hits the ball a country mile, and it's 2 nothing. But then um, he gets a ground out scatter uh, sandwich between a double and a strikeout. The ground out, if I'm not mistaken, was to, uh, was to either Gonzalez or Burford, and it was still kind of a rocket. So you're like, oh, boy, they're not, he's not fooling anyone. Gets the strikeout to end the inning after allowing a, a first-pitch double. But I guess what I'm getting at is – some of this has to be credited a little bit to Auburn because I think they were sitting first, like this guy is going to throw you a first pitch fastball, go get it. Because with the exception of the Deshera home run, let's just go through where the, uh, where these were. So the, let's see, bottom of the first. So the single was on an O2. He left, I think he left a fastball over the middle of the plate. I can't actually remember that one, but then you're talking about the double first pitch double. And then what are you talking about in the second inning where he really kind of gets blitzed? One O fastball. 
one oh fastball, one oh. No, excuse me. No, uh, the double came on the first pitch. Like they were attacking him early, and it seemed like that he made a conscious change at some point in that start. Maybe uh, this is just me, and I did. I, I'm noticing something that didn't exist. But after they were really squaring him up through like the first six batters, he threw a breaking ball to start the at bat. It felt like more often and had more success with that because when he was throwing the fastball on the first pitch, they were kind of teeing off. Even the outs were loud. So. Yeah, you're right. And, and here's something that, that we'll get to in a minute with Doherty, but I noticed this with Jack, too. <clears throat> I don't know if it was a scouting report thing or what, but Jack, his first time through the order, really, really dominated with the fastball. I yeah. wonder if that was just what they were trying to do, was they, they thought Auburn might have some issues with the fastball, and it turns out that uh, Gaddis's fastball didn't play up enough to, to give them the real issues that they considered. Um, but you know, he, he did make that adjustment um, the second time through, started locating some breaking balls. And, and obviously, Jack or uh, Gaddis has really good off speed. Uh, that's a, that's a key point there because I was about to add, like follow up to add to that is too. Is like he ha- having the ability to make that adjustment is good because there are other dudes to where they don't, they don't have the ability to throw the off speed stuff over the plate. So, you know, they're crushing your fastball and you have good location. Then you're just kind of up shit creek without a paddle. Like, you, you you're kind of done at that point. His ability yeah. to kind of uh, pivot toward that, I thought was important. Well, and, and, and here's the thing that, you know, I talked about last week when, when we talked about, you know, Gaddis on Fridays and whether we liked it or not. <clears throat> How many guys on this team can make that adjustment on Friday nights in the SEC? How many guys in this league when on the first two innings, you're in the first two innings, you don't have what you normally have, your fastball command's crap. Um, and they're hitting you pretty hard. How many guys are able to just stay in the game, stay in the moment, and keep your team in it? Um, I would venture to say that there's not a whole lot of guys on the Ole Miss roster that can do that right now, and I think John Gaddis is one of them. So that, that's a that's a help for Ole Miss, obviously. Um, and, and that's the thing, like, when you look at, you know, guys' repertoire and guys, you know, what they have from a stuff perspective that you don't really consider is, like, how are they mentally? Because there's going to be that day that you don't have what you normally have, and you've got to be able to figure it out. Fight now. In John Gaddis's case, him not having fastball man in the first two innings is such a massive disadvantage for him because, like we said, he throws 88 to 90 miles an hour. It's not like it's 92 or 94. Where if you mess over the plate, well, you throw 94, you might still got to get it by a guy. Um, but you know. That's the thing that was impressive about Gaddis. And look, if you look at the box score, obviously it's not going to tell a really good story. But I do think it's important that he was able to stay in there and not get stymied by Auburn um, or the environment and, and able to, you know, keep Ole Miss in the game. And, and Ole Miss's offense was able to do what it needed to do. I thought that was important. I think that kind of tells me if, you know, obviously the fastball commands has to come back or he's just not going to be able to pitch, Ole Miss on, pitch for Ole Miss on Friday nights. And I think it will. Um, but – you know, I, I also think, and you got to consider too the two starts that he that he makes without fastball command. He's a Friday night guy, something new. Um, but I just kind of think that that him being able to compete and stay in there is something that you know, frankly, not a lot of guys on this roster have the ability to do yet because they've just not been in that situation. Whereas John Gaddis has. You're right, and look, and if we're being honest here, like. Yes. Does he need like does Ole Miss need to get more than three in a third innings of length sure. of the product guy? Of course, we're stating the obvious here. But if you'll remember, the, the Gaddis could have still gone five, but Ole Miss scored a run in the top of the fourth inning in this game. Or excuse me, uh, scored a run in the top of the third to make it five to four. Gaddis gets a zero, and then they score two more in the top of the fourth. So at that point, it is what seven to four. 
Yeah, there we go. Did he go 4.2? Uh, who? Gaddis. No, he went three and a third. Or three and so two thirds. Excuse me. Three and two thirds. Okay. Okay. So, I thought he went. I thought he went into the fifth. No, so I'm getting through that. He I, he could have, but if you'll remember what happened was at the top of the fourth, he gets a strikeout, he walks a guy, then gets another strikeout. Four of the last outs he recorded, and he sat down six of the last eight batters he faced, I want to say. Maybe five of the last seven. And the walk sure. and double sprinkled in. But they went to Delusia because DeShero was up. Like Yeah, and he was going through the order, I think, a fourth time. Um, yes, and credit to Mike too for just look that game seven to four. Like, could Gatt- if Gaddis gets to share out there, does he maybe even get you through the fifth? Yes, possibly because I think Gaddis only threw seventy nine pitches, so it's doable. But I didn't mind the move there at all to Mike just to go to Delusia with their best hitter up and be like, no, let's let's try to let's not make this seven six when we get back in the dugout. Yeah, no, I, I thought Mike was really proactive in that way. Um, yeah, so, look, we consider and talk about, you know, John, John Gaddis's 3.2 innings and it not being good enough. But I do think it was important. Uh, like you mentioned, he gets six of the last seven guys out. Um, they settled in and gave Ole Miss length. Look, this is a bullpen that's got some depth. Uh, but it's a, it's a pitching staff that doesn't have a ton of, you know, guys that are going to run out there and give you seven innings, one or run. So what you've got to do from a starter's perspective is just keep your team in the game. Uh, Gaddis was able to do that. Look, was it was it perfect? No, but but I do think he's he's given himself every opportunity to start again on next Friday night when uh, Tennessee rolls into town. Frankly, I don't know what else they would do. Um, so, you know, it look like look at the box score and you're not overly impressed, but I do think it was important that he was resilient after the first two innings and was able to 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 get the get them into the fourth and, and let a bullpen that has been pretty good do what it does. Yep, and then as we kind of transition to the bullpen, I pointed this out on the on Twitter on Friday, but Dylan DeLucia coming in and preserving the bullpen one, but keeping Auburn at arm's length and putting up another – he gets them out of the fourth. Not that they were in a major jam. It was just a guy on. But he doesn't allow a run in the fourth. He strands the runner that he inherited from Gaddis there. And then he puts up a pretty quick zero in the fifth to where Ole Miss comes through the third time through the order, um, and they really get – to um, – I think they, this was Skipper by this point. Barnett had already exited the game. But Ole Miss blew open the game. Now, look, some of this was the help with Auburn. Auburn kind of kicked it around like the bad news bears. But Ole Miss put some pressure on him, and then six runs six is really what put uh, – really just kind of the clamp on this game, and it was over with at that point. But, you know, if Delusia comes in and struggles and Auburn scores two more in the fourth and then maybe another run in the fifth and it's eight, seven or something like that, you're talking about a totally different outcome potentially, whereas he kind of gave – he bought Ole Miss time to throw that haymaker punch offensively, and they did, albeit induced by Auburn kicking the ball around. Right. And, and, and give, like you mentioned, give Belushi a lot of credit from, for the fifth inning um, and, and getting uh, whatever the kid's name that plays first base. I can't remember his name for the life of me. Uh, getting him out. And, and then the game, for all intents and purposes, when he walks onto the mound to start the sixth, it's kind of over, right? It's what, yep. seven to four, 13 to four. And then, like, you can look at his stat line if you want past that. That's fine. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're up 13 to four, your job is to throw the ball into the strike zone and let them hit it. You go play defense. Um, you know, it wasn't five to four, it was 13 to four. Um, and, and to Dylan Delucia's credit, he did that. And, and look, I think that's a good time. Look, if you're going to look at Dylan Delucia's, and I'm, and I'm one that's guilty of this, you're going to just look at his stat line. Um, this year in this game, that it's not going to look pretty. But I do think he was good for Ole Miss on Friday night. Now, it's easy to say that uh, when you win whatever it was, 13-6 to six or whatever. Um, but 
I thought he did exactly what Ole Miss needed him to do. He preserved the bullpen and, and was pretty – I thought he had pretty good stuff on Friday night. He, he did what he was supposed to do, and, and, and that's a big benefit for Ole Miss, obviously. Uh, yeah. Like, the, like the, I mean, you talk about the two runs he gave up. He made a mistake on an 0-1 pitch, and Dial hit it pretty far over the fence. But yeah. then he gets it this uh, single – he allowed a single through the left side that was kind of a soft contact tweener. And then he allowed basically the single to Gonzalez to where it was just too far in the hole. And then one more. So it wasn't like he was giving up a ton of hard contact. I thought he was pretty good too. You've mentioned it a couple of times to where you kind of have to look beyond the uh, box score or game log for Dylan Delusia because if like I categorized it, I just said he's had a weird year. It has been weird because he's been bad at times, but when he's been good too, the like the, the sheer stats and the like box score hasn't necessarily shown it. But, like, last – I agree with you. Last night I thought he was good. I mean, he gets – or, excuse me, Thursday night. But he gets 11 outs, you know, scatters two runs over six hits. That's a valuable role. Like, I'm trying to think, like, of if you're talking about painting a picture of what Dylan Delucia's role could look like on this team, while he does have swing and miss stuff, is that the guy you want to come on when it's eight to seven in the seventh inning with two on, two outs? Can you get me out of this and get me one more inning? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily but when – Say you're up seven to two and the you know your starters laboring a bit. Can the guy get you from the fifth to the eighth or something and just kind of nurse a fairly sizable lead? Yes, and that's exactly what he did on Thursday. And that has value, particularly as good as this offense could be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I, I think look outside of you know how bad it got, because there was a point in Friday's game when Ole Miss is down seven to one and eight to one. I'm like, man. I wouldn't just throw in the towel. Yeah, and yeah. that's got to be kind of hard for Ole Miss Mike, right, because he's making pitching decisions. And I'm sitting there thinking, if they get a few on and hit a ball out of the park, like they're right back in this, and this offense is good enough to do that. So it's, for me, it's a little bit of struggle for Mike and knowing what you need to do on the mound. And that's the same thing I can mention with Delusia. He's the guy that, man, if he can just – if he can be the guy that – maybe even if you're down five to three in the fifth, right, and if he's the guy that can get you to the seventh and keep it at five or six runs, and oh look, now all of a sudden you put up four runs and you can go to your better arms, um, then, then that guy provides real value. Um, so, so I think he's got a role on this team for sure. I think it's more of a long relief role. Like I don't think he's the guy, like you mentioned, that's going to come in and throw one point one innings on the back end and, and get it to Brandon Johnson. I think he's the guy that's more valuable in throwing three and three point two innings. Um, but there's certainly a role for that. And I think that role, frankly, um, it didn't necessarily play out like this on Thursday. The more I talk myself into this, I feel like he's the guy that if you're down six to five in the, in the, in the fourth, um, you give him the ball and hopefully you look up in the seventh and all of a sudden you're up eight to six or whatever. You're still right there in the game. Um, he's the guy that you can pitch if you're behind and, and try to let your offense get back into the game. It's a fascinating point you brought up at the top, particularly because so let's just side pivot to the Friday game real quick. Ole Miss gets down seven to one after four innings. Uh, I was right there with you. Like I was like, okay, well, this is a huge hole for them to crawl out of. But with the way this offense has performed at times and what you think it could be, I was like, well, I don't think they're out of it. They just are going to need to put up zeros from the fifth to the eighth. And that's going to be the bigger issue than them scoring runs. Now it didn't end up happening that way, right? They didn't end up scoring. They didn't have a very good night offensively. Only the six hits and the four runs after that point when the game was all but decided. But it's an interesting point because if you're Mike, like if you're Mike, how on a night like that, because there is going to be another night like that, like breaking news, that's probably going to happen again. Like how do you decide, you know, 
throwing in the towel, punting, saving, pitching, whatever term you want to dub it versus let's get some zeros and see, like, what is that line? Because this offense last year, and argue, you can make the argument it's not it's even better this year, came back from 9-1 and 11-1 to in SEC games. And I'm with you. You know, they had that quick inning in the fifth, but when they got two on in the sixth, I was like, okay, here they go. Like, this is uh, – like, yeah. they, they, they're probably going to get back in this thing. That didn't happen, but, you know, we're going to get to a couple of mailbag questions in a minute, and a couple of people are asking what's wrong with the offense. If that's in the back of your mind and you were like uh, us two thinking, okay, seven to one, they can get back in it, nothing is wrong with the offense at the end of the day. They scored 33 runs this weekend, right? That is correct. That seems like a lot. That's 10 and a third a game. 10 and, yeah. 11. 11 a game. Damn. This, in my ass education, we're going to have to cut that out. You're right, 11. <laughs> it's early on a Sunday. I plead, I plead innocence there. But you're right. There's nothing, like, it's, that's a fascinating dynamic he's going to have to, like, figure out. Like, what is the line? Maybe there isn't. Yeah. One. Maybe you're just, you know, going to a Dylan Delucia type as we just, like, as we just outlined his role versus – I don't know, Hunter Elliott or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's just that's kind of tough for this offense, but it's a problem you'd really like to have too. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, that that's kind of Delusha's role for me. If, if I'm managing it, it's like, all right, buddy, we're down six to two in the fourth. Well, I'm going to let you try to ride this out for three and then see if you can give up one run and see if we can make this seven to six and we'll try to win it on the back end. Um, because for a guy, you kind of need a, a guy in that situation that can give you some length. And obviously, Delusia was a starter in JUCO. I think they still think he can start here. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I think uh, I think he's definitely got a role in this. What did you think about the guy that finished the game off? I thought he was pretty good. He, you know what? Also, is he's a name searcher on Twitter. Really? Yeah, because and it wasn't even like I didn't even say anything. Somebody tweeted at me. It was like, hey, you know, Bianco's going back to his old ways, putting Josh Mallets on the mound. And uh, the guy apparently misspelled Mallet's his name. He was like, Mallet has two L's. I'm like, oh, oh, hell yeah. I like that. I kind of like that. I do too. Like, listen, listen, internet asshole, get my name right. <laughs> like, <laughs> enough out of you. <laughs> the guy, I just looked it up as you said that. The guy he was, this is the most perfect internet thing of all time. The guy he responded to is named Major League Idiot. Jeez. That's no, that's his own name on Twitter. Like he made that himself, but that's just the most perfect, the most perfect internet thing possible. Let's uh, let's hit that for a second. I'm glad you went there because someone on the board in the game thread on Thursday night, I was reading through it Friday morning, like said something to the fact of like uh, maybe us two talking about us two said maybe we'll get, quit trashing mallets every show because he wasn't awesome as a freshman. One. The joke at this point is a little tongue-in-cheek, but it was very much more about Mike being stubborn last year to the point of it costing them games. Plenty of guys struggle as freshmen. It had nothing to do with Mallets being terrible. Mallets struggled last year and threw it over the plate too much. But, like, the, the, the hang-up and the kind of the tongue-in-cheek aspect of it was Mike continually going to a guy who struggled. Not the fact that just Mallets can't contribute and was never going to be good. I think the person kind of missed the forest for the trees on that one. But you know, to like bring it together on a serious note, every time he's come out this year, he's looked really, really good. He hasn't come put pitched in a situation that's mattered yet. But with the amount of questions that are scattered across this pitching staff, whether it's bullpen rolls or figuring out some starter stuff, like he can't be discounted from it. There's this point where he's going to pit continue to pitch well enough to where that matters, and he has to get a chance in you know some. I don't want to call it high leverage, but in a game of consequence or a situation of consequence, I don't think you can write off Josh Mallett. It's not that anyone has. All right, so I'll ask you this. Um, 
do you and I'm being serious here. Do you think Mike Bianco is an idiot from from a baseball perspective? I mean, this will make some message board people and internet people mad, but no, I do not. There was a reason Mike Bianco believed in that kid last year. Now, did it work out on the mound? No. Does Mike probably stick with guys a little bit too long? Yeah. There, he did some things for five to believe in that cat last year. Um, the stuff is not bad, obviously. It's a high velo fastball, 92-94, good breaking stuff. Some of the time it flattens out on him, um, and that's when it becomes really, really hittable. But, like, that inning in Texas last year, I talk about it because it, it happened. Like, he was dominant for an inning in Texas last year. Now, he's got to harness some of that. And, and obviously, I don't think he's real high on the totem pole right now. You don't get to pitch – you know, you don't pitch the 13-6 to six game um, the last two innings if you're extremely high on the totem pole. But I do believe he's worked his way up over some guys right now. Um, look, the stuff was good. The stuff was real. I hope it works out. Obviously, the kid struggled last year as a freshman, and he was put into some situations that were not fair to him. But I do think there was a reason Mike believed in him, and, and, and hopefully for Ole Miss and his sake, he's able to showcase that this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. And last week when he came in, and I forget which Oral Roberts game he pitched in, I think it was the similar situation. It was the blowout Friday game. I, I was like – I sounded probably sarcastic saying, is there some Josh Mallett's buzz? But I really wasn't because with the way this – you know, the pitching staff has been up and down – you can't discount that. And the difference with him was he threw a couple breaking pitches over, like back over the plate, particularly in that first outing. I didn't watch a ton of this one. The baseball game had been bumped to the computer at this point in favor of basketball because, you know, whatever. It was 13 to 6 or 13 to 3 at the time. But it's, it's worth kind of following that away because, like you said, it's real and it plays. And look, he struggled as a freshman because he threw too many strikes and threw it over the center of the plate. And you know who else did that as a freshman was Gunnar Hoagland. Now, I'm not going to say yes. he's turning into Gunnar Hoagland. No, no, I'm just pointing out that his problems are common for freshmen. Like, the idea that he was never going to turn it around, like, I think is kind of a false premise. I just was – we were joking throughout last year, Mike continually going to a guy who would struggle because, by God, he's going to jam that square peg into a round hole. That's all it was with Malice. But I'm fascinated to see kind of where this goes from here with him. No, it's – like you said, it, it was never – you know, that we believe Josh Mallett couldn't contribute on the Ole Miss baseball team. Obviously, the stuff is real. It was that, you know, is the best time to go to him a Sunday and start bull, um, you know, that, that that type of thing, or even a Sunday against Arkansas. Um, but, you know, it, it I guess that is what it is at this point. It's probably time to let that go. That Sunday game at Starville still does bother me. Um, but, no, look, I, th I thought he was really good, and I think, like you said, at some point I do expect that he throws uh, innings of consequence for Ole Miss. I don't think you get through um, 30 games in the SEC and, and, and the SEC tournament without Josh Mallett's contributing in some, some form or fashion. So, uh, you know, it, it. look, I was happy for the kid, obviously. he That was his first SEC appearance, I think, and I could be wrong on this. You may actually can check it. I think that was his first SEC appearance since he walked off the mound and started that day um so so I was glad he had a good outing and like we said I think he's going to be a guy that at some point over the year gives Ole Miss a meaningful inning or two absolutely before we move on because we have the Saturday uh or the Friday game uh I think is where we'll get to some of the more uh we'll call it pressing issues with this team one you were exactly right the last SEC outing Mr. Mallett's got was that Sunday in Starkville um the last SEC out he recorded before that was actually the week before against Arkansas, hence the issue uh, in Starkville that day. But I digress. Uh, before we jump to the, the game two, to where I think some of the 
flaws and issues of this team uh, kind of surfaced. I guess we'll use this opportunity to uh, to kind of just roll through what the offense is able to do. They were ridiculous on Friday night. Same thing on Sunday. Uh, Jacob Gonzalez, I know we touched on it a little bit at the top, but Mike moves into the leadoff slot. Um, I don't know what Mike saw, but, man, it worked. Do you think that had anything to do with the fact that they're – I had this theory. They, are, they have two left-handed bats out of the lineup, right? Auburn was going with a pair of right-handers to start and ended up pitching, I think. Did the, was the guy Friday left-handed or right-handed? I can't remember. Um, but do you think there's anything to the fact that he just threw a lefty up there front before the guy faced, you know, a bunch of right-handers in a row? Why do you think he made this move is probably the best way to ask that. Um, I do think Mike is a guy that if things are, things are stale and things are not working, he's going to shake something up and the offense weren't, wasn't good two games in a row. And, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it had anything to do with matchups. I just, I do think Mike is dead set. I think it's obvious at this point that he wants Tim Elko fourth. Um, I can't really blame him. Uh, I don't really – I can't put a finger on why he went to Gonzalez first. I'm glad he did, obviously. Um, but I just kind of think Mike was in the mood of shaking things up. I mean, you hit, hit Bench third this weekend. He hit McCants third twice this weekend. Um, I guess we need to mention that, by the way. Um, but, you know, it, it's uh, – I don't know. I can't put my finger on, on why he did it uh, or, or the reasoning as far as moving Gonzo to one. Uh, but like we said, glad he did. Uh, McCants real quick. That That's probably not serious, right? You expect him to play right field against Tennessee come Friday? I don't know. So you you listened to Mike's post-game TV or radio thing or what it was and then texted that to me and then I saw Chase put it out later. So he leaves the game in the Saturday game randomly in the fifth. And Mike said after what he thought it might could be a tight hamstring, but then it sounded like the trainer thought it could be the result of dehydration. This doesn't sound like the sound like a Dunhurst hamstring, just reading the tea leaves. I really have no idea because again, like what do you actually know with hamstring injuries? But if you made me kind of uh, lean on it based on what it sounded like the, I guess the tone of Mike's voice when I went back and listened to it after was probably he plays, sounds like it was probably a dehydration precautionary thing. Uh, as opposed to him actually tweaking a hamstring. Because, like, he caught the fly ball to end the inning right there before that, and he wasn't, like, really limping. Coming back in, he looked fine. He was the first one out of the dugout. We'll get to Hudson Sapp in a second to congratulate Sapp after the double when he gets pinch run for. And then I know this sounds silly, but he wasn't really limping around in the handshake line after. For, for whatever reason, the TV broadcast decided to show that entire thing, and he looked fine there, too. Maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but I'll say yes, presumably. That seemed very precautionary. Yeah, I, I think if think if that's a Sunday in June, I don't think TJ McCants comes out of that baseball game. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, so, you know, it's I think he's fine. But no, look, like I said, the lineup just I, I don't. Mike's not going to draw names out of a hat, obviously. But it kind of just felt like he looked at it and was like, "I got to shake some things up. We'll take these four guys and we'll put them at the top, and then after that, we're just going to see where things fall." Um, so. I don't know. It's, it was a good move. You know, we, we give Mike a lot of grief on this show. And, and I thought, you know, uh, like, like we don't have issues giving him, you know, a little bit of grief when, when we don't think he, you know, makes the right call. I think it was a really, obviously, a really good move to, to shake up the order because you had, what, four got five guys that bench Gonzo, McCants, Chatney, and Gonzalez that all, that all really swung it well this weekend. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, like, when it happened the, on the – when he put out the lineup on Thursday, I didn't know what to think of it. I was like, oh, that's just interesting. I didn't really have a strong opinion on it. But kind of going with what this offense can be and kind of what the advantage Ole Miss has 
maybe that a lot of other clubs in this conference don't, is on Friday night, their Friday night starter didn't have it for the first two innings. Whatever you think of Mason Barnett on Friday, he is Auburn's would you call him the most talented arm in terms of just the velocity and the stuff? Like the the um, Trace Bright was their best and most consistent pitcher so far this year. But from a pure, pure arm talent standpoint, as a starter, don't you think Mason Barnett is probably the most talented arm they have as a starter? Uh, yeah. I, I think, mean, he's a decent Friday night arm from like a velocity and stuff standpoint, I guess. Yeah. That doesn't make I, I think before he graduates, Auburn hopes that that kid's their Friday guy. Yeah. And he kind of is by default right now. But the, the point in that is Ole Miss did, Friday's got Ole Miss's own game one starter, did not have his best stuff. And the offense went 1-3-1-2 to start out. So it gives him the 7-4 lead despite it. When the, uh, when the pitching staff kind of figures out, partially Gaddis, partially Delusia, puts up a couple of zeros in a row, three in a row to be exact, Ole Miss goes with the knockout blow in the six, and boom, you've won a Friday game 13-6. to six. And then you can say the same thing for Sunday, them shutting down the door. It's just this offense can get you so quickly. It's, it's kind of remarkable to watch. I mean, we hit it on it earlier talking about when they were down 7-1, to one, not thinking they were remotely out of it, just in a bit of a hole. Um, you know, when it's right, it's right. And the fact that they were able to do this without Calvin Harris and TJ McCants is uh, fairly impressive. Yeah, that's the thing that kind of kind of you kind of forget. You don't have when Harris. I you McCants, don't have I Graham. Yeah, you don't have Harris, you don't have Graham, and like at some point you do expect those guys to rejoin the team, um, you know. So look, but the issue is like, yeah, you say you expect them to rejoin them, but like they still scored thirty three runs in three weekends. How much more impressive is it going to get? So um, I don't know. It's man, they swing the crap out of it. They they really do. It was look obviously Friday night uh, it didn't hit as well as you normally do, but look, it's a game of failure. You're going to have nights like that, but. You have to when you when you take into the consideration that game, you have also have to consider the fact that they scored twenty eight in the other two games. Um, that's what this team is, man. I think if if you're an Ole Miss fan, you, you just kind of look at this team and it's it's the team that puts you out of the super regionals last year. That's the goal, right? You want to look like Arizona. Arizona was not dominant on the mound. They didn't have dominant starting pitching. The guy they threw on Friday night against Ole Miss in game one had a seven ERA for goodness sakes. Um, you just want to be able to – you can bash your way to Omaha. That's for Ole Miss. That's the hope this year. Absolutely. And that's a perfect transition into this uh, – This I'm going to do it. Game two. I got to stop doing the dates. Um, <laughs> Ole Miss loses 19-5 to in a game where they missed some opportunities, I thought, early on offensively. And then Derek Diamond, he gets through two innings with uh, scoreless. He gives up the four spot in the fourth. And then – um, just really just has never been able to get off the field when things start going poorly for him. And that's kind of been his MO since he's been at Ole Miss, you know, fair, unfair, you can call it bad luck sometimes, but it's not bad luck every time. And it, this is definitely a thing at this point to where when things compound, he is an inability to get off the field. I think some of that is mental, but as Chase pointed out a couple of weeks ago, God, not to take credit for his point, but I thought it was a very poignant one. He gives a lot up a lot of hits in 0-2, counts. And, all of a, and then a lot of the time, some of the walks that he has, he's, he's ahead early in the count as well. It seems like there's a wipeout pitch or a go-to pitch lacking with him to where he can't finish off hitters. I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but it, it cost him dearly once again on Friday night. No, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious at this point. The guy just doesn't 
you know, have the ability to put guys away and, and counts um, and advantage counts. I, I just kind of think that is what it is at this point. And, I, you know, you hate it for the kid, right? Because I just, you know, he comes in as a freshman and, man, he looks like a million bucks. And, and last year happens and, that you know, has an up and down year. And then this year it's, you know, two outings on, on big-time weekends where it just wasn't very good. I mean, yeah, the outing against Oral Roberts was pretty sol- solid. Um, and, and the outings against VCU and College of Charleston weren't bad. But the best two opponents they played, he's really, really struggled and not been able to – to get Ole Miss kind of what they need to be and keep them in the baseball game. Well, I'm, I'm, let me rephrase that. He wasn't able to keep them in the baseball game on, on Friday night. He was able to keep them in the baseball game on Friday in UCL, but part of that was because Ole Miss put up a ton of runs. Um, but, you know, just it's it's been a struggle so far. And and like you said, the out pitch kind of doesn't exist. The velo kind of falls off quickly. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's kind of to the point, though, that I think if I don't, I don't think Mike's you can you can you know disagree with me and, and that's fine but I don't think Mike can continue to run him out there on the weekends and and that be in the best interest of Ole Miss baseball. I I kind of just I think he may need to maybe he's a guy with confidence maybe you can throw him on Wednesday against Memphis and hey maybe he goes six innings and gives up one earned run and, and you know he's able to find it. Um, but because I do think there is some confidence uh, issues because, you know, for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened so far this year in those big situations. Uh, but, you know, it, it, hopefully he's a guy that's able to find it. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how they manage it because I'll, I'll ask you, do you suspect that he is one of the three starters when Tennessee rolls in next weekend? Ooh, it's a good question. My gut's no. So is mine, just because what did we talk about the starting pitching being unsustainable? Uh, about thir- 20, 30 minutes ago, we talked about how well, Mike's been known not to make changes when they're winning, but I, so I kind of countered with, well, it's cl- it's clear this is unsustainable and they have to change it up at some point. I don't think going Gaddis, Doherty, Diamond is enough of a change. I think he's going to have to change out a body in the weekend rotation. And it's not any of the other – it's not either of the other two guys, right? So, I think it has to be – I will offer this counterpoint to you before we kind of get back a little bit into what exactly went wrong, even though it's kind of a familiar story. What he offers is potentially good enough on Sundays. I keep making this point. They're not the same arm talent-wise, and I preface this every time. But I just watch him, and it feels very Sam Smith-ish in the sense that it's like, okay, can this kid get them 12 outs? Can he get them 13? Can you get to that magic 15 out number where you're like, oh, hell yeah, now they're in business. It just feels very Sunday-ish every time I watch him pitch. And, you know, I'll ask you this. I don't know what he necessarily projects as out of the bullpen, but do you think he could be an okay game three set in stone, like, guy? Um, yeah, I, I, I do. Here's my rebuttal. It's like, do I think, do I think Derek Diamond could be an okay Sunday guy? I do. The question then becomes, well, is the guy that's thrown on Tuesday a better guy for, for that role? Right. Um, and I think the answer at this point is yes. I mean, I, Washburn, look, the, the, the numbers are a little deceiving. Um, statistically, he threw pretty well against Selah, but I think they hit some balls hard and, and he got behind in too many counts. But I just kind of think here, – here's the difference, I guess, with Washburn and Diamond. Um, Washburn has that pitch we're talking about. That's what, uh, yeah. Washburn has the stuff to overcome the walks. Washburn has the stuff to put put guys away. Um, 
don't know. It'll it'll be interesting. I, I think if it's me, and look, Mike obviously knows the intricacies of this team um, and baseball a lot more than I do. But I think if it's just me from an outsider's perspective, I think I'd be it'd be tough for me to not go Gaddis, um, Doherty, and Washburn next Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and, and let the chips fall where they may. I'm uh, I'm certainly with you there because I'll put it to you like I guess put it in this light. Washburn, what would you grade his season so far? B B plus? Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, I'd go B. I'd go B for sure. Well, has he pitched on a weekend yet? I think uh, one very good no. outing. He, he threw one inning against Charleston. Right, like that. Like that's a guy. You know, what, I, I'm not saying he's going to like. I I don't. I wouldn't rank him in the top four pitchers on this pitching staff. But he's been way too good to just have him toil away during the conference season in the midweek. I think that's probably the deciding factor in this change, don't you think? Right. No, I'm with you there. Um, I just kind of I, I I struggle to think that Ole Miss is at its best with Jack Washburn. Um, not pitching on the weekends. I, I, I just – that one doesn't kind of compute for me. So, I, I feel like if there's an – been a, is there, if there is a time to go to him, it's it's now. Um, do I think he's going to be automatically successful? I don't know. We'll see. I think he's got a chance. I think he's got real stuff. I mean, let's go back to the middle of, you know, January. We're talking about, oh, this guy might be the Friday guy. Um, and for whatever reason, it just kind of didn't work out that way. A lot of different reasons. But I, I do think that – I'll say this. Um, I don't know what the role is, but I, I kind of struggle for sure to believe that Ole Miss is at its best without Jack Washburn throwing meaningful weekend innings. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that one. We got a mailbag question about, like, what's next for Diamond, so we'll hold off on the other part of that. Let's just run through the rest of this game. This was just, like, so people are going to ask, like, holy hell, like, what do they have guys that can get guys out? Like, Saturday – for the, I guess, fan perception that Ole Miss doesn't have enough pitchers to make it through SEC weekends. Losing 19-5 in the manner in which they did, in which Auburn scored uh, 12 of those runs in the final three innings when the game was pretty much over for all intents and purposes. But, like, that's not a good look optically. But sure. I hate to, to, I don't advise whoever was running the Ole Miss baseball account who put out the That's Baseball thing on Friday – but you Wouldn't are going to have nights where another offense is just all over you. And post-Diamond, that's just what it felt like. Like, yes, was Mason Nichols great? No. Like, Mitch Morrell, kind of a weird outing. He does get him out there, but then there's another inning. And then at that point, it's Burton, Kimbrell, McDaniel, and you're just trying to play damage control a bit. But, like, that just beyond Diamond, because I think that was significant. And, look, Mason Nichols not pitching well is cer- certainly something to file away. But I guess what I'm saying is beyond that, that just felt like a night where Auburn had Ole Miss's number and was just kind of obliterating everything. Do you think when Ole Miss walked four in a row, do you think Mike was ready to fight at that point? Oh, I think he was ready to fight long before that. Do you remember what uh, Hayden Dunhurst did? Mike got one of the publicly viewed – uh, Mike Bianco death stare butt chewings was you forget and I, this is not making excuses for Diamond but he wasn't helped out to start out there in the no. third. it was remember it was a uh, runner on first the full count uh, Diamond throws a ball and walks him well Dunhurst like the guy was running on the pitch Dunhurst decides to sling it into center field despite being the guy awarded uh, second base because you know in baseball four balls you get to move up a base and Mike was about ready to destroy Hayden Dunners. He ripped it. There was a mound visit, and over under three and a half words, he said to Dom. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. I was about to, I was, to put it in percentage, 70% of the time was spent staring at Dunhurst. <laughs> and the other 25 was spent talking to him. <laughs> yes. It like, was just a death glare on the way. I felt bad for the kid. Yes, it was. I uh, wasn't great. So, like, do you remember? I, hold on, hold real quick on that. Do you remember two years ago, the COVID year, when Chatney was a freshman and he didn't cover the bag against Memphis, and he just Mike just called a timeout the whole time to go yell at Chatney? I did. I think Mike was frustrated with the way the game was going both then and there, and that was kind of a bullying point to where it's like, what are we doing here? <laughs> That's got to be a not fun feeling, like in that situation. After, like immediately after Mike calls Tom and you have to go to the mound and you know what's about to happen. Oh, it's not great. I've been in a pseudo situation there before. Uh, not, <laughs> not, but elsewhere. It's not, not a fun time. Someone, um, someone asked a, a mailbag question though, about us reenacting uh, five's reaction to, to diamond leaving his Jersey and Hammond. Oh, I'm looking forward to getting to that. I had that one. <laughs> um, but as far as the pitching, did you make a ton of anything post diamond? I mean, look, Nichols wasn't great, but I don't know. Auburn was just really, really good offensively on Friday uh, Friday night. Auburn was pretty good offensively the first two games. Um, maybe Auburn's just good offensively. I was impressed with Rambush at the top of the order. Cason Howell's gotten a lot better, and obviously the kid that plays first base that I can't pronounce his name is, is a really good player. Um, you know, so uh, it, they were locked in. They scored 19 runs. Like, obviously, Ole Miss didn't help them. They walked way too many. They walked more than one in inning, which is something that should never happen in college baseball. Um, you know, so not Ole Miss's night. I, I thought the freak out was maybe a little excessive, but but I kind of also get it because, like, you look up there and it's like, oh, we gave up 19 runs. Well, you didn't throw your best arms, um, you know. But also, obviously, don't give up 19. Don't walk 11 and in eight innings. You know, I get it. But it's just uh, – it's just kind of weird how that played out because 24 hours later, they just kicked the crap out of Auburn. And statistically, I get it from the standpoint of, look, non-conference season, it's really hard to tell what teams are, particularly like a team like Auburn where they had one, you know, decent test out there in Arlington, played a couple of good teams and fared okay, I would say, in it, but didn't have a whole lot of uh, teeth to their non-conference schedule. By every statistical measure, Auburn was kind of a – middle to bottom tier SEC offense. I mean, they, in pretty much all categories, they were somewhere between seventh and tenth. So this was not a great SEC offense. But, you know, in a very offensive SEC, what does that actually mean? Like, I, I get the freak out, but it's just like Saturday seemed like a bad day because the rest of the weekend, Ole Miss got outs at a – like in the other two games, Ole Miss got outs at pretty – a plenty a high enough clip to win series in the SEC. It was like a very bad day combined with two, I don't know, call it okay to good days on the mound for Ole Miss. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good way to put it. It's it wasn't a great day, and, and frankly, Ole Miss is not you know where they want to be on the mound. Uh, well, let me rephrase: Ole Miss is not at the point of the mound where they're you know just going to avoid days like that. Um, hopefully, as the season goes on, you you kind of hope it kind of hope it gets better, and 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 you can massage a little bit more. But you know, the thing is too. I mean, Ole Miss is still trying to figure out roles. I, I think you know what we mentioned with the Friday game, Ole Miss still being down seven to one. I think you know that gives you a little bit of you know, into Mike's thinking that he goes to Mason Nichols there. Um, he's not conceded the game at that point because I think he thinks Mason Nichols is one of his better relievers, and obviously it just doesn't work out for Nichols. Um, kind of gets hit around a little bit, and, and the score kind of blows up. Um, but, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Some days they're, they're like that on the mound. It j just is what it is, and, and hopefully for Ole Miss's sake, I, I saw, you know, two guys in Hunter Elliott and, and Jack Doherty throw really well on, on Saturday. Um, 
you know, if you're an Ole Miss fan, hopefully you're you're, you're thinking that well, maybe Elliott and and, and you know, I, I think a guy that didn't throw this weekend, uh, Riley Maddox, are going to be able to keep you in more ball games than what you know Friday probably made a lot of people thought. I agree. And then just a quick note offensively that there was some buzz, like what's wrong with this offense after the Saturday Nothing. game? Because look, it was three of their four that they hadn't looked great offensively. And sometimes you just like you're just collectively better than others. Like, look, the, the Mullins guy for Auburn, he was okay, but Ole Miss yes. after two hits on a guy that walked four dudes through the first four innings. Like, Ole Miss left 11 guys on base. They didn't take advantage of it. Some nights they're going to just not be great offensively, and I thought that was one of them. But, you know, expecting them to be awesome every single night is not necessarily realistic either. I don't think anything is wrong with the offense, I guess, is what I'm trying to say to put that kind of – Yeah, no, I think the offense is fine. Um, they scored 33 runs without, you know, two of their better hitters. So, um, I don't know. It's, I, the offense kind of just kind of seems redundant to me. It just – it's really good. They hit ball really far. Um, they had, you know, a not great game on Friday where they still scored five runs. Um, obviously, they didn't score them in enough time for it to matter of any consequence. But, you know, Thursday and Saturday, the offense kind of just puts games away, which is, which is the formula for success for this team. Put games away um, with your offense because that's that's the you know it's the best offense to me it's the best offense in the country and uh, you know so I, I just kind of think that they performed like we thought they would and if they keep hitting the baseball like that they're going to win a lot of SEC series um, you know got a very very important one coming up next weekend because I think after that you get four pretty manageable series um, so. Offense needs to swing it really, really well next weekend. And, and if this weekend was any indication that they probably will. Saturday's in the, the Lost Friday setup, what we described at the top, was kind of a weirdly important March game. For, I won't out rehash it again, but just where all the schedule fell, like Ole Miss needed to rebound and go get a series win. Like you said, even though they hadn't won here since 2009, it felt like, you know, if you're going to be a good nationalist seed caliber team, you go finish a series like this off. And – to Ole Miss's credit, they did that. And what made the Friday loss a little more precarious was, like, on paper, with Bright going for Auburn on uh, in game three and them not having used Burkhalter yet, I was probably going to give the – like, Auburn on paper probably had the advantage on the mound. I imagine Butch felt pretty good about his chances to steal this series when he went to bed on Friday night. And the first two innings – Bright looked really damn good, and then Ole Miss kind of blew the doors open in the second time through the order. But, like, credit to them for showing some toughness because I thought on paper Auburn had to feel pretty good about their chances of taking this one. Yeah, I think I think Auburn felt pretty good about it. Just weren't, you know, uh, you know, if you if you had offered Auburn that exact situation on Thursday before the game, they'd probably take it. Um, but Ole Miss, to their everlasting credit, just, you know, Trace Bright has really good, you know, performance – you know, the first three innings, I believe, first time through the order, and then Ole Miss just kind of assaulted him. After that, was able to get him off the mound. And then the most impressive part to me was they go to Buckhalter there. I think that's his name. And because, you know, Auburn's not going to go through the weekend without throwing their best guy, their best bullpen on. And, you know, it's just, it's just one after the other. I mean, just Elko greets him with a bomb. Um, and, you know, it's, I would it's say that guy over really just win. And Elko hit it 400 feet on his first pitch. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that well, it 
and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, it felt like an off-speed pitch that Elko was like, I know what he's about to do. And he threw that down the middle of the plate, and he hit that to Opelika. I was about to say, he wasn't whatever it was. He was not surprised, and like no. Culture got two outs. He allowed five runs of his own on five hits and made it two thirds of an inning. That's their closer. Yeah, it's uh, it was an impressive feat by Ole Miss. I, I really do believe that. It's uh, I don't know. It's just kind of what this offense does, man. It's I don't really think they're intimidated by good arms. Uh, and there's not just a plethora of those among the league. Like I'll be honest with you, I would looked at a mock draft yesterday. Do you know how many first-round picks Ole Miss is slated to see this year? Oh, is it zero? The answer is zero. Um, now, some of that's a little bit of – I'm not going to call it luck. It's just a little bit of happen chance. I mean, that you know, they're not going to see Landon Sims. They're not going to see Blake Tidwell, who's probably going to be back at some point this year, but he's not going to be back next weekend. They're not going to see Peyton Paulette. Um, you know, so they're, they're just – you know, there, there, were, there were other arms in the East, uh, maybe Barco at Florida, Jonathan Cannon at, at Georgia, um, that they're not going to see because they don't play them. Um, so Ole Miss isn't going to just see elite arms. And the good news for Ole Miss is, man, if you're not an elite arm so far, it's just kind of been shown that they don't, you know, they don't miss pitches against really just good pitching or, or subpar pitching. They kind of ambush you. So kind of just sets up well for Ole Miss when you look at that and just kind of see that, you know, they're, that, that outside of elite arms, and Ole Miss hasn't seen any of those this year, that, they're not going to be fooled or kind of struggle. Uh, obviously, I know Friday happened, but it, that was just kind of a weird game in general. I, I, I trust this offense really pretty much against anybody this season that's on the schedule. Speaking of the ambush side of it, you're right, because Trace Bright, did he face the minimum through two innings? No, you had a McCants double in the first. Yeah. And outside of that, the kid had five strikeouts pretty early in the game. Well, top of the third inning, you get an Alderman fly out, Burford strikes out. Gonzalez, so it's two on, it's two uh, two outs, no one on. All of a sudden, you get a Gonzalez walk. Shat made an uh, the left fielder made an error. The sun must have been hellacious over there because remember the Gonzalez made an error over there too that can't count as an error because it didn't touch his glove. Uh, Deshera had the highest single in the history of baseball in terms of uh, apex and trajectory. But <laughs> then all of a sudden, Shat reaches on the air by the left fielder. Well, he done messed up, buddy, because then all of a sudden it's single, stole second, single. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's three to nothing, and Ole Miss is kind of in business. After that kid, for the first eight batters of the game, looked almost unhittable. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, – it, it just kind of yeah, – I feel like if you're not – like I said, if you're not an elite arm, good luck getting through this offense uh, twice, coming away unscathed. It just it, – they're going to blow up on you at some point. That's what's crazy about this team, right, It's like – you can be in the game, like, you know, say you're up one to nothing, and you can go take the mound, and all of a sudden you're down seven to one. They do a really – I will say this, because if you remember the inning, I think where it blows up, um, Auburn, like you mentioned, Auburn should have been out of the inning. It should have caught the ball, and it should have been, you know, uh, one to nothing game going to the top, bottom of the third. But he drops the ball, and Gonzo scores, right? And, and Chattanooga's on second. McCants gets a single. McCant still second. Elko gets a single. Like, they don't – they are relentless. They're not just going to give it bats away just because, you know, hey, we scored a run, tied the game up. No, like, they're going to make you earn everything. And, and that's – man, when you've got an offense as a pitching coach, like, when you've got an offense one through nine that makes every single at bat, you have to earn it. 
gets really hard because it's really hard to be perfect and really hard to throw pitches on the outside corner and, and curveballs in the strike zone consistently uh, and where you want them and not get your feelings hurt. And, and Ole Miss does a really good job of staying relentless and not kind of giving outs away. It's mentally taxing, too, to just have to go through one through nine like that. And, like, you know, you finally get the 2-0 hitter shout out, like you think, and then the guy drops it, and it's like, oh, damn. And, you know, next thing you know, you're headed to the dugout with the three spot put up, only, I guess, two of those being earned. But still, now you're in a hole, and you felt like you pitched pretty well. Like, I don't know. If I was sitting there and I was Trace Bright in the dugout in the third inning, I'd be kind of like – I'd be very frustrated. It's like, well, I didn't really do anything wrong. <laughs> and, and, you know, the two pitches they hit, I think McCants was either 0-1 or 0-2, and then Elko was 0-2. It's like, my God, you literally have to earn everything. He probably thought he was out of the inning on both of those at-bats. So they get up 3 to nothing, and then we'll get to the Doherty side of this. Doherty goes five innings. The first time we'll miss, had a, a starter go five innings all weekend, seven strikeouts, three walks, two earned runs. He scatters seven hits. I thought the – one of the more important pieces of his start was not only how he fared the second time through the order, but with the way Bright was pitching on the other side, for Doherty to be as sharp as he was the first two innings, I thought was really important for stating the obvious, keeping Ole Miss in the game, but just kind of to match what was going on on the other side. Because there's a world in a couple of those Sunday games where Ole Miss, if you don't score a run in the first or second inning, uh, you might be in an early hole. Oh, it's uh... – I don't know, man. It's it's impressive to watch because it kind of kind of seems every single game that that you know they they're consistent. I will say this, and I'll ask you: Do you think there's something to the base running miscues that people get upset about? Because I I, I used to be the guy that was always like, yeah, be aggressive, make them make plays. Almost at some points feels like they are overly aggressive at times. Like I'll give you an example. I believe it was the Thursday game um, with Chatney. Why are, you, why are you stealing third with a left-handed hitter up? Or, or, or maybe it was Elko up. Like, why are you trying to steal third there? Just let Elko swing the bat. Well, and it's um, out. It's not like it was a sack fly situation, I don't believe. Right, right. You know, so it, it kind of feels like there are some times where – and I will say on, on stolen bases, a lot of people want to look at Clement and all that um, and Bianco. They, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I do know how a lot of teams operate. They give guys green lights, and they're like, hey, we trust you to make the right call. Uh, on when to go and when to not. It kind of feels like at some point some of these cats need to have some red lights, though. No, you're right. Sorry, there was, a, there was one out on the Chatonier thing, but the point still stands. Why not let Tim Elko swing the bat? Like, the, I don't get that either. They do – the base running is, uh, is problematic. Like, so Mike got asked about it, I think, on Thursday, and he justified it with Auburn doesn't throw many guys out. It's like, well, when, you, when you run that like, recklessly, they're going to throw some guys out. They're going to have to dial that back a little bit because, you know, at that point – you had the Gonzalez homer, you get the shot in Yates single, he advances to second on a wild pitch, McCann strikes out whatever, but a guy that was having trouble kind of buying a strike and buying it out at that point in Mason Barnett, you know, you just helped him get out of the inning. Why not just let Tim Elko kind of do what he does? And it happened later on in the game. I can't remember which inning it was, but like that's a Friday night guy that Ole Miss is kind of getting after a little bit and making him work, and you just gave him a free out on the base pass. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, is you're giving – I hate it when you give outs away to guys that are struggling. I don't know, make especially against this offense, make them earn it. I don't think this is an offense, and, and you may disagree with me. I don't think this is an offense that predicates itself um, around running. Like I don't, I don't think there are a bunch of guys that are going to steal a whole lot of bases. Like I think McCants can do it, um, and I think Bench is a really good stolen base guy. But outside of that, man, it's like a, it's an offense that predicates itself over hitting balls four hundred and forty-five feet, hitting balls in gaps, and hitting balls hard. 
Um, so, you know, there, there is some of, you know, some of like, I'm not the guy that gets upset at Mike Clement every time they get thrown, someone thrown out at home plate. Like Gonzalez got thrown out yesterday at home plate. Okay. It happens. That's making Auburn make a play. Um, and credit to Auburn for making it. But there's sometimes it's just like, man, I, I, what, what are we doing? Like the, he, I think the inside of the park home run truck, um, against, I guess, Oral Roberts last Sunday, it's like, check, he was out about 15 feet. Yeah. I guess we're making them make a play. He was also, like, there was no shot he was going to score either. Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of a weird dynamic because you talk about how good this offense is, but the base running miscues are kind of the thing that everyone gets frustrated with. Yeah, no, I'm curious to see if that's Dodd Backer that cost them a couple of times in a big game and then people just have a collective meltdown. What did uh? What do you think of Doherty though? Like I thought the like I mentioned those first two frames were really important, particularly with the way Bright was throwing for Auburn. And like you know, I guess that's the kind of the counter here. It's like that was Auburn's best, most consistent pitcher, the Sunday guy. And you know, with the way with the way Ole Miss has been from a rotation standpoint, you might can make the argument it was their best guy too. And you know, having Doherty hold them at bay for even just a couple innings, if you're kind of going into a staring contest, which pitcher is going to blink first against which offense? I'll probably take my money on Ole Miss the majority of the time. I thought that was important. And then, look, he made it five. Like he struggled the second time through the order as a starter at times, and I thought he was better. Mike got him out before things got hairy um, there in after the fifth inning, but I thought he was really good, and that kind of, um, I guess, adds fuel to the fire of the whole Jack Doherty potentially on Friday take, but. I think you summed it up best. At least they solidified a guy in the rotation. He has to stay next week. And that's a yeah. box check. I, I I didn't think Jack had his best stuff, really. Um, he had no semblance of really an off-speed pitch um, <clears throat> the first time through the order and just kind of dominated with a fastball. And I, I want to say this about Jack Doherty's fastball. It, it's 90 to 92. I get that it plays a lot harder. I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm going to try to get the rap soto numbers and the spin rate on it. It you can tell it really, really jumps on guys. He was able to dominate that first time through the order, um, and I don't believe give up a run um, with just a fastball, which was extremely, extremely impressive. And then he he's able to find the slider. He's able to throw the breaking ball in the strike zone, and you know he he's able to get off the field in some big situations. Look, were there guys scattered all over the bases? Sure. I mean he had a he had a two whiff on the day, which not not great, but credit to him for being able to make pitches and, and get off the field because I think the thing we've always – or not always said, that's not fair, but the thing we've wondered about Jack Gordy is he's just not done it as a starter. Um, and Saturday he did it as a starter. I, I think he's the guy that, man, is the more he's able to start games, the more he's kind of able to get that feel of things. I think he's going to be really, really good as either a Saturday or a Friday guy for Ole Miss. I don't expect it. I'll say this, and, and, and I think you'll agree with me. We, we both don't expect he pitches on Sunday next week. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's more than fair. And it's a great point you made. And another, just to add on to what you're talking about, so Ole Miss scores the, the three spot in the third there, right, to go up three to nothing. Well, he gives up a double, and then he walks Deshera, whatever, at that point. What's that guy's name, Sonny Deshera? Um, yeah, Deshera. And so, whatever, at that point, with the way that guy was hitting this weekend, I, they were definitely pitching around him. It was on four pitches. Well, then Dial hits the single, so it's three to one. Auburn scores a run. You're sitting there thinking, oh, boy, they're about to, you know, trade blows. The three-run lead they just, you know, kind of compiled pretty quickly. They're jumping on Bright is about to evaporate pretty quickly. Nope. Strikeout on three pitches, strikeout on four pitches. That's kind of what – Diamond hasn't been able to do that Doherty did I won't say with ease but I had less of a doubt that he was going to be able to strain that and not turn that into a massive inning 
I thought that was a massive point in the game. And then, you know, he puts up two more zeros after that. And I think he retired five of the last six batters he faced, stranding one double. Maybe there's a single and a double in there. But point being, he was able to get out of some crowded base pass. Yeah, he gave up. He gets two pop-ups in the fourth, then single and double. Well, whatever, no big deal, induces a fly out. Whereas Diamond, that could have been a four to three game in favor of Auburn by the time they got back to the dugout. Those third and fourth innings where he strains a couple guys on base, I thought were important um, in particular. Let's, uh, let's hit the, because we'll go, well, this will kind of play back to uh, my larger Doherty point in a second. Hudson Sapp, how much did you know about Mr. Sapp heading into this? Uh, I knew that he redshirted last year, um, and that's about it. I do know that my blood pressure went up when I saw him pinch hitting for McCants. I'm like, if he's hurt, I'm going to cry um, because he had been really, really good this weekend. Um, hell of an at-bat, though. I mean, he's in a situation where he gets down two strikes, right? And the goal there is I can't strike out. I can't strike out. I got to figure out a way to put the ball in play. I got a runner at third and less than two out. Um, shortens up with two strikes and, and is able to get get a barrel on one, get it over the right fielder's head for two RBIs. And, and kind of the floodgates really opened after that. So um, really, really impressive at bat um, by, by Sap there for sure. That, uh, that ejects Burkhalter from the game. That ended up being what chased him. But you're right. That's a massive spot because the game turned into a farce at 15-2. to two, But it's a 3-1 to one game at that time. And I remember thinking, okay, you know, you get Gonzalez walk, the shot single, and it's like, okay, now you got McCants up. This, this, is, like, this is about as optimal as the situation as you could ask for. Two on one out with McCants and Elko up. And then all of a sudden McCants doesn't grab a bat. It's like, oh, God. Like, what's, like you said, kind of what, what's up there? And kid steps in in a massive spot because I thought that changed the game a ton. I think Ole Miss was probably going to win this one regardless, but the double just kind of opened up the floodgates. Elko hits the home run off of uh, Burkhalter the first pitch he comes in, and all of a sudden it's seven to one, and it's a much different game than it was about three pitches ago. Or I think that was actually technically back-to-back pitches two pitches ago. That was a massive uh, at bat there from Hudson Sapp, and then to tie that back into the Doherty point is. Ole Miss goes up 7-1, to one, and then Doherty has a very quick fifth inning, gets him to 90 pitches. He's out of the game after that. But to put, to put the clamps back on Auburn with a very quick fifth inning after up 7-1, to one, I thought made a world of difference as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the game was over at that point. And Jack, was, Jack had kind of found a curveball at that point. And Auburn didn't really have much of a, much of a you know, threat against him. So, no, Sapp had the big hit to put the game away for all intents and purposes. I mean, like, you know, it's – that's the thing about this team is they've got dudes on the bench that would play in a lot of SEC schools. Like, Banks Tolly is yep. probably a starter in another SEC school. Hudson Zapp probably gets meaningful at bats uh, besides just yesterday. Ben Van Cleve is probably someone's DH every day. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a deep, deep lineup. But they've done a really, really good job of recruiting. And I think after one SEC weekend, the questions are the same, right? Is there enough pitching to, to, to sustain success in the SEC? Um, I don't think that question's been answered yet. I think we'll know a little bit more after next weekend when they play a really, really good Tennessee team. Yep, let's get to the uh, – because the rest of the game kind of turned into what it was. Credit to Ole Miss for just blowing the doors and, you know, putting their stamp on the series there. But let's get to the, uh, the people's questions they submitted that I took on Twitter yesterday before we sure, look sure. at the SEC and get out of here. Uh, here, let's just start with the softball. What do you do with Derek Diamond? Put him in a bullpen, I guess, or start him on midweeks. Um, so, just 
we've talked about this though, right? Like we were kind of of the opinion Derek Diamond has to contribute for this team to reach its ceiling. Maybe that's not the case, but it's I don't think that anymore. I, and I'm not saying throw him away. Right. Um, I just I think this team can be good if you know Derek doesn't have the year that he probably wants. I don't I don't think that he's the linchpin that holds this together. Maybe that I did back in February. I was probably wrong on that. What I I'm trying to go through it. My brother texted me on Friday night. It was like, why does he why does he close? I'm like, well, like I guess on one hand he would throw 94 in the first inning he's in there, but it's the the lack of the put away pitch and the mental yeah. aspect of it. Like I don't view that as a real suggestion or whatever. I just it made me stop and pause for a second. I was like, well, I guess that would maximize the velocity, but the fact that it kind of put like my brain in a pretzel for a second, it's a complex deal because like I don't necessarily know what his role is. I guess. I guess it's middle relief in situations where you got a couple run cushion. I, I really don't know. Like, what would you, what, what, what do you think his role is? So, so I'll, I'll present it this way. Um, how do you, or let, let's pretend that, that Washburn moves to the weekend, okay? Leaves a midweek opening, right? And my question at that point becomes, are you playing to win midweek games? Or are you playing to develop guys? Like, what, what is the role there? Because I think Derek Diamond would be a good midweek pitcher. I think he could dominate the likes of Memphis um, and, and teams like that because I think he's got really good stuff. And maybe that gives him the confidence to get back into the weekend um, as a long reliever if somebody falters back into the rotation. <clears throat> but I guess the question is, are you using the midweeks for guys like Hunter Elliott to get starting experience? Are you using the midweeks for guys like maybe a Riley Maddox to get starting experience? I just kind of don't know how Mike use those in, in, in the long term. Um, frankly, we have seen Sean Johnson as a senior be a midweek guy. So maybe maybe he's playing the, you know, just I'm going to throw my best guy and go win these baseball games. If that's the case, I think Derek Diamond would have a really prominent role there. I think he could be good there. Um, outside of that, I don't know how he really fits in the bullpen. Um, because like you said, the velo's kind of all over the place, right? Like it's 88 to 94, which is a big difference. Um, and the, the put-away pitch, it's kind of hard to pitch out of the bullpen if you don't yeah. have a slider that can strike somebody out, obviously he's able to throw off speed, but it doesn't kind of really fool anyone. Um, you know, you pitch out of the bullpen, you need to be able to strike that guy out on third with less than two outs. And, and I'm just not sure if he's able to do that. So it's it's kind of – if he's not into the rotation, um, I, I I just don't really have the answer as far as how they use him. I don't, I'm not, not saying there's not a role. I'm just saying off the top of my head, I can't, you know, kind of pinpoint one for him. In 2019, Ole Miss had a Saturday guy that really struggled. They gave him opportunity after opportunity, and eventually it didn't work out. He went to the midweek, yep. pitched a couple of important midweek games, and then by the end of the season threw some spot rotational relief and as a four-starter helped Ole Miss out a little bit. That guy's name was Zach Phillips. You could follow a similar trajectory there. If, sure. It, are we to the point where Zach Phillips-type path is the best-case scenario for Diamond? That's a weird place to be, but I, I think it kind of fits. Yeah, it's just – it's kind of to that point, right? Like, it's something – I'll say it like this. Something at UCF made Mike realize that, that McDaniel had to come out of the rotation. I just – I don't know how you got to that point with McDaniel, but you're not at that point with Diamond, if that makes sense. Yep, that's a good way to put it. It'll be fascinating to see what that looks like next weekend and how and if Diamond is used. And then they – Oh, I forgot to add another weird element to this. They do have a five-game mid-game week. Isn't this the week with – The game Tuesday is not going to happen, but yeah. Okay. Well, that might actually help them a little bit. So, yeah. uh, I guess kind of a wait and see there. Here's a good one. Does this baseball team have the tightest hamstrings in the history of hamstrings? I will just point out (laughs) someone responded and said, 
That's what happens when you're terrified of being berated by someone who needs a step stool to look you in the eye. I don't know the correlation between that and hamstrings, but I laughed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, to turn this into a real question, you know, it's a good thing this team has depth because the injury stuff is starting to get real. Just hope they can make it three more weeks, like three weeks in a row now without like having someone else miss time because you are teetering on the point. Let's just, I don't think this is the case, but let's just say, McCants had had like a Dunhurst hamstring deal where he has to miss a couple weeks. No matter how much depth you have, at a certain point, that's going to start affecting an offense that you need. To well, at that depth. point, I mean, you're you're having to play. You know, your lineup's kind of set at that point. You know, you move uh, Leatherwood and Alderman into the field, and Ben Van Cleve's your DH, and you're kind of out of depth at that point. So, you know, it's a good thing they have depth because if that situation arose, you would uh you'd be kind of out of it. But that would kind of have to be your lineup for all three games, really. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the injury stuff, is it, it, it's a lot of nagging stuff, right? It's not anyone – they haven't lost anyone for the year for that, which knock on wood is, is you know, fortunate for them because some other teams have had some devastating uh, arm injuries already for the year. Yeah, they, they need kind of a healthy, healthy month or so. Here's, a, here's one that kind of surmises what we were talking about earlier. Is Ole Miss really a good baseball team? We Real quick, a- Mississippi State just hired a basketball coach. I saw that. Chris Jans? How about that? Yeah, good coach. That guy's won pretty much everywhere he's gone. Um, sorry, here we go. So is Ole Miss really a good baseball team? We now have three games, UCF, Seelaw, Auburn, where the bats have been shut down. The defense has been at bad average at best. We suck at running the bases. Pitchley certainly has issues. And a different player seems to get injured each week, it seems. I don't know if this was tongue-in-cheek or completely serious, but, like, I don't know what you expected. They are going to lose baseball games. Yes, I'll answer it this way. Yes, I think Ole Miss is a good team. I think they're working out some stuff on the mound that could be the difference between really good and great and a good team. But, like, saying the offense was shut down in all three of those games, I don't think it's totally fair. They still scored five runs against Auburn. Look, I'm not going to make the Seelaw argument when they only had three hits, but that was a couple swings and some poor placement away from scoring five, six runs. And then sometimes you just run into a really good arm like they did at UCF. I think they're a good baseball team that's figuring things out on the mound. Yeah, I and like we've said all year, your offense allows you that opportunity, right? Um, you know, we can talk about them being bad in the field, and, and I get it. I made two errors this weekend. Um, it's I don't I don't necessarily think that this is a <coughs> excuse me a bad defensive team. I think sometimes it might be a focus issue. Um, you know, and, and we talk about the errors. One of them, the one yesterday, was on Doherty. Just threw a ball away on a pickoff that kind of just hit the runner, and it was a little bit of bad luck. Um, no, I think this team's really good. They've got a one beside their name. I expect that they'll still have a one beside their name come Monday morning. Um, do I think they're the best team in the country? I don't know. Um, I think there's four or five teams that you could put number one beside their name, and I'll be like, yeah, that makes sense. And Ole Miss is one of those. Um, so, I don't know. It's Yes, this is a very good baseball team. I think it's an elite baseball team. I think they're going to have to figure out some things on the mound. The good news is I think the offense provides them that opportunity to find them out. Yep, I'm with you on there. I think that's well said. Um, who gets the shot? Who gets the first shot at being in the weekend rotation? Hunter Elliott or Jack Washburn? It, we, didn't, do you, we didn't talk about this from this prism of this question this guy asked. One, it's a good question. I think it's Washburn yeah. just from the standpoint of – What they've tried to do with him so far seems like they're holding out hope on him to starting. And I don't want to say they're surprised Hunter Elliott is contributing, but as far as – I think they'd probably be more wary to give a freshman more uh, 
uh, more to bite off than he can chew or whatever the cliche is. I think they're fine, comfortable with uh, Hunter Elliott exactly where he is. Now, look, if Washburn struggles and doesn't work out, Elliott, I think, is the next guy you look well, at. I think well, let me ask you this. Do, do you have the ability to pull up the Ole Miss baseball roster right now? Uh, yeah, I got you. What, uh... All right. All right. So what I need you to do is type Control-F and then type in LHP. Go ahead and name those people for me. Oh, yeah, no, I, I get what you're getting at here. The, uh, <laughs> you know. the, well, the, the beauty of the Ole Miss baseball thing is you can look, you can group the roster by position and they differentiate left-handed pitcher from right-handed pitcher. So <laughs> we, uh, we'll just go through it for the sake of the exercise. For left-handed pitcher-wise, you have Jackson Kimbrell, Hunter uh-huh. Elliott, uh-huh. Tom Gaddis, and a fellow named Luke Ellis. I don't think you're going to see Luke Ellis this year. And I don't know if you're going to see Jackson Kimball in too many big situations after this weekend. So uh, I just – I struggle to think, and it's not really Hunter Elliott's fault, I struggle to think that Mike's going to take his only left-handed option out of the bullpen and put him into the rotation. I'm I just – I he has to, right? Like that's, Yeah, I, I don't see that one happening. So if the change is made, I expect it to be Jack Washburn or maybe another right-handed pitcher that I'm not thinking of. Um, so yeah, if I had to guess, I would think that the next person into the rotation is Jack Washburn. The first question this guy asked is not necessarily as good as the second one, but I'll answer this at the end of the season. Does a 19 to five loss hurt more than if it had been eight to seven? Nope. No, absolutely not, not one bit. Not how they look at that. The odds of the committee, even remembering that game happened. Um, it's probably no, I, I've seen committee sheets. Um, they're not going to know. If it was one to nothing or nineteen to five, doesn't matter. Um, are you concerned with the bullpen after game two at Auburn, or is that just the bullpen's arms we mostly will not use? I think it's a combination yeah. of both, and probably mostly the latter. I think we hit that one pretty good earlier without uh, seeing the question. Yeah, Mason Nichols will be used. The other, the other two to three, I don't think are high on the pecking order right now. Um. Yeah. No, I am with you on that. Uh, would you? Can you reenact the Derek Diamond leaving his jersey and Hammond and breaking the All right, I want to be Derek. Okay. So, so I'm going to oh, let for, you be five. So, for those who did not see, Derek Diamond was wearing 38, and he was not given any sort of uh, football award for the uh, wearing <laughs> that number. He left his uniform, according to the broadcast, in Hammond, Louisiana. Before we get to the reenacting, how does that – how does that happen? Do dudes – I mean, I guess you throw in your own laundry. They even do that at the big league level where you just, t- like, put everything together chunk it in there. But how does like, – I'm not not to shed blame from Mr. Diamond for not keeping up with his laundry, but how is there not an equipment guy that's like, all right, make sure we got every jersey here? How does this work? How does that happen? Well, I would – so I doubt there are showers there. I'm sure they either went back to the hotel or shower and, and, or just didn't ride – or just didn't take one before they hopped on the bus. Um so I just would think you you change out of your clothes and you throw everything into your bag, and Derek just forgot to throw his jersey into his bag. I mean, yeah, I guess that's a. I mean, that brings in the possibility where you could just bring the classic. Uh, I think housekeeping may have had sticky fingers. Um, you know, blame <laughs> it on someone else. You're probably never going to see, but. Just a wild occurrence. All right. Uh, I don't even know how this would go. Do you just walk into his office? Maybe he's reading the news. No, I, I think – so, Kellogg knew about it before the game because I'm listening to the pregame and, and he mentions it. He said I, it, it, the way Kellum said it was that it was, like, well-known at the ballpark. So, this happened. They played on Tuesday. I'm sure they got there on Wednesday night and Derek's, like, going through stuff because, you know, they do the practice or whatever. And I think Derek probably realizes it maybe on Wednesday night that he does not have his jersey. 
Okay. Um, so you would like to be Mike or Derek? Because I would just I want to be Derek. Derek. All right, go I ahead. Want, I, I want to let you be Mike. Okay. Coach Five, um, I, Hi, I, I, I just need to tell you that I have forgotten my jersey in, um, I believe, Hammond, Louisiana, and I know that we're in Auburn. I just want to present to you uh, what the – I just need to ask you what I need to do. What do you mean? <laughs> Coach, I left my jersey in Hammond, Louisiana, and we're in Auburn, Alabama. And therefore, I do not have a jersey to wear on Friday night. I don't understand. Why? Coach, it was an accident, and I have forgotten my jersey again in Hammond, Louisiana. I am asking you what I need to do. What's an accident? (laughs) You told me to play Mike. (laughs) I I I I have a genuine question. What are the odds Mike just didn't know? I don't know the inner workings of the equipment staff or the assistant coaches wanting to keep things from him, but I did, I'd say there's a decent chance that they're like, look, let's, let's let him take the field. Is this like a major league situation where you try to avoid Roger Dorn and you're the wild thing? Like, get out to the bullpen as quickly as possible. Keep your, uh, keep your warm-up or whatever they wear on and then just go out to the mound the first inning and take it off in your 38. Like, and just, and just backpedal. Because I don't think the jersey, the number's on the front, so you could just backpedal from the dugout to the mount. That's a good point. And, you know, even if they had the jersey on the front, you could just put your glove in front of it and then just backpedal to the mound, tell them you're stretching. We have tight hamstrings on this team. This is a new stretch. You walk backwards, it loosens up the hamstring. I don't know what Mike would do. I do not think he's the kind of guy to go just smile and laugh. I think Mike was probably rolled his eyes and just basically was like, can someone else handle this before I blow a gasket? That would be my best. Yeah, I don't think Mike – I will say this. I don't think Mike fixed the issue. I think somebody else probably fixed the issue. Yes, and I don't think that's going to become a reoccurring joke throughout the year where he just no. talks on Derek ca- uh, casually in the uh, the uh, batting practices. I don't think that's going to become that. Uh, it might was No, about no. That, that, there are some funny things that happen. I figured they'll get the jersey mailed from Hammond to – to Oxford, and, and I figured Derek Diamond's probably going to hear about it for a little bit. Poor guy. Uh, yeah, I don't think this is going to happen again. I think he will remember all his uniforms. I was going to go with the worst ways Derek could have approached it. One could have been, Coach, we can't wear navy this weekend. <laughs> well, why not? We just can't. Can we go with another color? I'm just not feeling it. No, we don't have another color. Well, we got a problem because – we, I don't here's have the, Here's color. the situation, Bob. Yeah, I don't have blue. Or the other, other one I could think of is – Hey, can I wear number five? I'm tired of two. Can I try five? I might pitch better. Well, you know, and that's a little bit of an issue for uh, for for Diamond there because Mike's one of the few guys, and I think I say fuse. A lot of guys just kind of wear the the pullovers nowadays. Don't really wear the jerseys. Mike's a jersey guy, so you can't just use Mike's jersey. I think partly in the back of his mind when he gets dressed every morning, he thinks he's still going to go catch. And then they <laughs> someone there to remind him in the dugout, no, you coach. Like, you Hella, Hella I think he get, keep getting hurt, he might. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think, that, yes, I not helped out there by the pullover situation. Um, so Godspeed to Derek Diamond, a uh, rough weekend. But, you know, hopefully he can rebound and remember his uniform and find a role at some point uh, another with this team. 
We got a couple of non-baseball uh, questions that I'll hit to after we let you go just to, uh, at, for the sake of time, not keeping you for two hours. This is an interesting one. Sneaky series losses, two or three to name that Ole Miss should watch out for. Um, honestly, I'd go – I think what proved this weekend is Ole Miss can beat anyone in the country, and, you know, if the pitching's bad, they can lose to anyone. I think the answer is, like, any of them. I mean, I, I think they'll handle Missouri okay, but I don't even know what a sneaky one would be. Um, Kentucky. Kentucky at Kentucky, that's a good one. At South Carolina is going to be a doozy. Yeah, I mean, South Carolina just took two from Texas now up there. So, no, South Carolina's playing like crap this weekend. Um, yeah, no, Kentucky is the one that that worries me. Um, just going on the road, Kentucky's got a little bit of familiarity. Um, just, I, I don't know. I mean, they've got some Mississippi guys on their staff is what I mean. And I, I – that one's one that, that's interesting to me. I think Ole Miss goes there in two weeks. And uh, if Ole Miss can get out of Kentucky, that's a place where TCU has won a series. Um, I can't remember really the last time. I mean, Ole Miss went to Kentucky in 17. They swept them in 14 um, up there. But, you know, haven't outside of the 14 year, haven't necessarily played overly well up there. Um, so, be interesting. I, I, I think that's the one that if Ole Miss can get out of there, I'll be pretty happy if they can get out of there with two wins. I'll just mention one more at the end of the year. And look, this is early and this could mean absolutely nothing because you get weird results in week one of conference play sometimes. But A&M has taken two at LSU and is yeah. sleeping Baton Rouge today. Ole Miss gets them in Oxford. I don't know what to make of that. But if you're you know, asking me after week one this question, that's worth throwing on the radar. I did not have that result this weekend. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think outside of Ole Miss and Arkansas that the West stinks? I think there's a chance. I'm glad you got to that because I was going to throw some theories at you once we got to the West part of it. Hold that thought. We got a couple more mailbag. Okay. I think it's certainly possible. Uh, a couple more real quick. We kind of hit some of these. Um, would you, do you give Diamond one more weekend start? Do you think he's 100% completely healthy? I think the answer is no to both. Yeah, no to both for me. Bases loaded, two outs, tie game, bottom nine. If, you're, if you lose, you're immediately killed. You get to choose between Burden and Diamond to try to get out. Who are you picking? So I've got to get a hit. I got uh, to get a you got to get an out. Wait. So they're hitting? No, 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 no. Bases loaded, tie game, bottom ninth. I guess. Oh, I get to pick. pick. Yeah, you get to pick. Uh, but you got to get out of the inning. It sounds like. Uh, and then he added, "Good luck." Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the luck, yeah, um, man. It's it's Burton, I think, because <laughs> there's one out right. Uh, two outs. All you got to do is get the guy. Oh, out. two outs. Then I'm going down. Going down because I think there's Burton least chance for walk. Okay, fair enough. I think I'm still going Burton because uh, just from the mental aspect of it. Um, let's see. Seems like there isn't a clear cut answer to the rotation problem. What do you guys think the best solution is, and how much does this limit this team's ceiling? We'll hit the first part of that real quick first. What do you think? There, if you're just guessing right now, long term, what the optimal rotation is? I think this question is uh, is interesting. Um. Regardless of order, because I, I don't really care about order, it's it's Gaddis, Doherty, Washburn for me. I think those three in your rotation is what makes Ole Miss the best. Uh, from a ceiling perspective, I don't think it limits it, man. I just – I struggle when I look around this league and I don't see elite arm after elite arm. Like, I, I know and, – and I'm guilty of this because I mainly just watch Ole Miss. But, and look around the league. There's not really deep staffs. Um, nobody has a deep staff that Ole Miss is going to play. So – 
I don't really think it limits what this team can do. I think this team's going to be really good, and I think it's just a weird year in college baseball where people that are used to having dominant arms on Friday and sometimes Saturday are just not going to be able to get that. You're going to kind of have to readjust how you view baseball this year. I'm with you there. I don't have a lot to add to that. I think that's well said. If you're talking about limiting the ceiling, I think what actually limits this team's ceiling if these – and this is what probably gets into kind of making a uh, – a little more of a dicey proposition is if the freshman arms falter in the bullpen, they get into a situation last year where they only have two guys they trust to get out. That hasn't happened yet. I'm not forecasting it happening, but I think the thing that would uh, undercut this team's ceiling more is Hunter Elliott, Riley Maddox, Mason Nichols, throw in another arm or two in there, aren't able to get outs and get it to a Brandon Johnson. I think that kneecaps them more than anything. Again, that hasn't happened yet, but if you're looking at like, what deters the ceiling the most. I think it's that more so than the starting. I think they can figure the starting pitching out to where it's okay. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. Um, I have always said this. I trust five to get the rotation and the pitching fixed and handled. I, you know, look, has he got some fault that people don't like? Sure. Um, I've always believed that Mike Bianco will figure out pitching. And, and to this point, I think he has. Look, there was a bad game on Saturday without it, or Friday, excuse me, without a doubt, but. Um, I just, I kind of over 22 years, if you want to, if you want to get on him about, you know, he's consistently not getting Omaha. Okay. Well, he consistently puts out, you know, pretty good pitching staff. So, um, just kind of, I just kind of trust him on that one. Uh, last one, that's probably the most important one that I accidentally almost skipped over. You accidentally stumble into a bar fight against five guys, but you can choose two Ole Miss baseball players to back you up. Who do you choose? I saw this one, and and so the, there's one obvious answer, right? You know who it is? Kemp Alderman? Yes, that is the obvious one, and he is on my team. I'm not going into the bar, the bar fight without Kemp. So um, we, we can adjust from there, but Kemp Alderman is going to be on my team. I'm with you there. I've got a couple uh, options for the other one that I don't think are off the beaten – I think are a little bit off the beaten path, but I'll right. go first. Um, okay, can, can I take Mike Bianco? Because I think he might can, might can throw down. You just went way over off the beaten path, even beyond me. Yes, you can. Uh, I don't like it's a physical altercation. I'm not sure I love Bianco's chances if he's going to um, back the other person in the corner and yell at them like an umpire, and that deters the escalation. Then okay, I'm with you. Um, so so I was, I was being a little facetious there. Um, Hayden Dunhurst feels like a guy that could probably scrap. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you there. I mean, catchers are tough always. Uh, ben Van Cleve feels like a guy. We're talking about a guy from Indianola Academy. I see probably a guy like Scrap. Um, yes. not, I'm not sure where else. Tim probably could, but Tim's too nice to the guy. Like, Tim's a really, really good human being. I don't really need those if I'm going into a bar fight. Uh, yeah, I got a couple more. Uh, Brandon Johnson, just because he matters. <laughs> Doesn't he look like the guy that would back off a beer bottle off the side and not stop until someone was dead? I mean that in the nicest way possible. I mean that. <laughs> he, in- throws, he throws 97. I bet he throw a fist. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And the way he looks at dudes, I actually, he looks like a guy. I'm not to, not, again, I mean this as a huge compliment if the off chance the Johnson family is listening out there. He looks like he might have been in a bar fight or two before. I think, any, is he a, a South Alabama, Southern Alabama guy? Is he? He, he is from Alabama. I'm not yeah. sure where. I'll, I'll ask you, since since we are out of college, and I figured the statute of limitations have been up, did, did you ever get into a bar fight in college? No, no. What was I going to do in a bar fight? 
Same, same, exact same answer. No, I, absolutely not. That's just, I don't ever want to, I don't ever drink beer and get the urge to hit someone. I'm not really, I, like, I can be a smart ass at times, and I get that that's a uh, probably uh, not a, the greatest thing to add to situations sometimes, but at, like, bars and public places, I'm not, like, popping off and smarting off to dudes to where we're going to get punched. Um, I might have some friends that are rolling my eyes at that, at that, but, like, in the actual bar, no. I, I What was I going to do in a bar fight? But Brandon Johnson, Cottondale, Alabama, like, someone changed the jukebox off Leonard Skinner. That guy's probably punched a dude. I'm going to let you have that one. <laughs> I'm just saying, okay, I say probably. I'm not going to get Mr. Johnson in trouble. I'm sure he's an upstanding young man. He looks like he could if he wanted to. He's a fiery guy. Uh, the other one, Knox LaPosser. I don't know if you've been up next. Oh, well, you, you know Knox a little bit, don't you? Y'all are both from, from the same area. So kind of, but mostly like, this is not even me doing my MIS thing. He's a muscle hamster. That dude does not skip arm or leg day. Uh, like okay. he, he's built like an ox. So that's why I'm okay. ox the Knox. That's what I'm th- I'm taking him with me. Potentially. Okay. So you're taking Knox and, and Brandon Johnson. I think potentially, yeah. No, well, no, obviously I'm doing No, arm. no, I'm okay. You're taking ox. Kemp and, and one of those two. Yeah, Alderman's walking in the establishment first. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's leading the way. Honestly, it's probably Brandon Johnson because if I'm in the middle, Alderman walks in first. They might then, not see you. And then Johnson walks in, grabs a beer can, shatters it, and it's kind of got the little halfway prison shank thing going. I think we're walking out of there with a the win. Yeah, I think so, too. I like that. That's a, you put some effort into that one. I thought about that way too long. Um, so, great mailbag questions by the people. I'll hit some of these non-baseball ones here at the tail end after we let Colin go. We got to get around the SEC, though, a little bit. Not overly surprising results across the board. We're recording this on a Sunday morning slash afternoon. So, the Sunday games haven't taken place yet. But I think most of the results are kind of in hand. Um, we just went over the biggest shocker. A&M taking two with a chance to sweep as we record this uh, against LSU in Alex Box. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, A&M, you know, wasn't projected to be one of the best teams in the SEC. And they walk into a tough place to play first SEC series and win two games. Um, look, Slosh is a really good coach. I didn't think he would get it fixed this year. But, man, that's a hell of a start for them. It's uh, – LSU got some issues, too, especially on the mound. That's a hell of a start, too, because if I'm not mistaken, um Texas A&M has had some uh, non-conference bugaboos in terms of slip-ups. So, like, you go take a road series like that to start out, that helps a lot. Yeah. I think – and I I can be wrong here, but I think all the other series started out 2-0 one, one way or the other. They did, and they basically all went chalk. Um, like, like South, Tennessee took care of a good South Carolina club. Ten, there's, there's, yeah. there's a world where we look up, and I don't know what the deal is with Tennessee's Friday night guy, but there's a world where you look up in May and Tennessee's the best team in the conference. Yeah, I mean, because because if they get Tidwell back, and I do think at some point they expect them back, they're gonna be they're gonna be a nightmare. Uh, they're starting a freshman on Friday nights right now, and like he's really good. I do wonder if at some point like Swayze gets to him next Friday night because because that's tough yeah. Go ahead, I think that's a great point. I'm I'm out, that's that cat comes out Friday night and deals in Swayze against an Ole Miss lineup that's really good. I'm 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 officially bought in on him so. Uh, no, Tennessee's really good. Uh, the one, the other one that's interesting, and, and I know may catch some flack for this one, and, and it's not necessarily their fault. They've lost guys to injuries and what have you. But man, Mississippi State's struggling right now. Like it, it's to the point where we looked at the non-conference. It's like ah, they'll get it figured out. Well, they've lost two to Georgia, and they're down three to one in the fourth today. They may just not be very good. 
Um, I don't think they're very good. I watched almost all of their Friday or yeah, Friday game on the second monitor. Watched pieces of the one yesterday. I tuned in for the end of it. Um, they no, this says weird. This is weird to say after they scored eleven runs yesterday. I was more shocked by yesterday's result that State scored eleven runs. They're struggling offensively, and Georgia has good arms, but they also don't have guys that can get guys out. And look. They lost Stone Simmons and they lost Landon Sims. Like, that's a major, major blow. To expect them to recover from that would actually be kind of surprising. I think we're used to just State figuring it out all the time. And, you know, to their credit, their program culture just kind of being there at the end. I, I don't necessarily think that's the case this year. Maybe I eat crow like I've done a couple other times, but they, they look like a, a sixth-place West team, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, they look like a team that I think they'll they'll make a regional. I don't I don't expect that they'll host one this year. Um, I don't, they're too talented to miss. But yeah, just I mean, it's to a point where you know you lose enough non conference games and you you know, maybe get swept opening weekend that you kind of put yourself behind the eight ball and you got to go make up some games. You want to talk about hosting a regional, and, I, and I'm just not sure State's talented enough to do that this year. But you know, um, the reigning national champions they'll, they'll they'll have every opportunity to figure it out and, and I suspect that you know by the time May comes around they figured some things out on the mound and they're a team that you probably don't want to see as the three seed in the regional that that's always the thing with like state and LSU it's like if I have to get them as the three seed in my regional I'm just gonna riot yes exactly I but the, I don't think they're I don't think you can talk about them as much as a host anymore again maybe they turn it around but I just don't think they have the horses with the injuries they've had oh yeah no I, think that's fair. Kentucky loses two against Arkansas. I don't know why I had this on on Friday night. The state game had gotten uh, out of hand. Ole Miss was already over with for all intents and purposes. I had an extra computer screen. Um, Kentucky made four errors in the first four innings. I don't like their chances to make it to Omaha. Um, I, I don't think they're very good. No, um, and Arkansas is, and in that environment, you know, Kentucky needs to get a game. Um, they have a series one against TCU. Menzion needs to make the postseason this year. Uh, they need to get this game today on Sunday. Um, so, no, they, they've not been very good at times uh, this weekend, and, and they weren't very good on Saturday, frankly. So, um, Arkansas wins that series, and, and, you know, if you're Kentucky, just hopefully avoid a sweep. Because if you're Kentucky, and if you can get out of Fayetteville with one, um, I'm not going to say it's a success, but you, you, you avoid it, obviously, a nightmare scenario. How about the okay Friday night starter Connor Nolan for Arkansas? That's former yeah, he found it. quarterback turned okay weekend starter turned decent reliever turned Friday night guy. What a wild well, career for that guy! So so in nineteen he's their Saturday guy, right? And he's a right. quarterback and quits. And then twenty twenty, I, I can't really remember what happened. And then last year he's not any good. Like he's bad. He was and, basically a bullpen arm for the last two-thirds of the year. Not well, basically, he was. No, well, and he wasn't really even that. Like, they didn't throw him in meaningful situations. They threw him in the SEC tournament game against Ole Miss because they just didn't have anything else. And he owns Ole Miss that day and then kind of just figures it out and they throw him in the regional and they throw him, in, I think, a little bit in the super. Um, but And now he's their Friday night guy. So, yeah, it's a, one hell of a career path. Quite the statement from Florida uh, over the weekend. Look, yeah, Alabama's not ranked, but you think they're better. They mowed through it with a good chance of the sweep today. Um, I forget the kid's name. Barco on Friday, I think he went eight. He was really special. Uh, credit to Florida. I thought they might lose this series. Yeah. No, you go on the – look, it's kind of the same thing with Ole Miss. You can, you can talk about he, he all you want. Winning on the road in the SEC is tough. Winning the first two is extremely tough. 
Um, no, very impressive win from Florida after, you know, maybe not the non-conference life that they wanted. Um, so, no, very, very impressive outing from them over the first two games. It's uh, – Barco's really good. And uh, they've, they've got guys that – you know, they've got Judd Fabian and guys like that in the lineup that can really make things difficult for you. And congrats to Vanderbilt for yeah. coming up against Missouri. Uh, that's probably a sweep today. Anything else? South Carolina drops two to Tennessee. Tennessee's really good. Yeah, that's going to be a hell of a series next week. It's nice to be back having SEC series to talk about. This is a great time of the year. Um, I don't know about you, but like, I spent most of the weekend just watching basketball and baseball of like four televisions, and it was nice weather, and it finally felt like springtime is here. So how about that? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good weekend. Um, yeah, the, 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 the tournament's been really, really good. St. Peter's in the Sweet 16. Um, yeah, just, just kind of kind of one of the better weekends in sports. And, and, and thinking back to two years ago, I'm just so thankful we get it because, God, that was miserable two years ago. Yes, we didn't was. have – Yes, it was, just all around. Um, all right, dude, well, we'll let you get out of here. I appreciate the time. As always, we'll maybe holler at you in the midweek, and then uh, we'll be back here on Sunday, my man. I appreciate it. Sounds good. All right, that was Colin Brister. Appreciate his time. As always, it's good to be back in the swing of things there with conference play and uh, t- chatting with Colin on Sundays after, uh, after an Ole Miss baseball series. So, Rebels take two or three. Got a hot Tennessee club on deck after uh, really five games against the state of Tennessee this week, right? You got the two Memphis games in the midweek followed by the Volunteers coming to Oxford. I'm going to hit a couple of these mailbag questions real quick that were not um, baseball-related just because I wanted to get Colin out of there before I had him in there uh, in, the, in the recording scene uh, there for about two hours. Um, let's see. Silly man, chilly man checking in here. What's the weirdest question you've ever been asked in a job interview? What's the weirdest question you would ask if you were interviewing someone for a job? I haven't had any weird question experiences with job interviews. Um, mine have been pretty straightforward for the most part that I can remember. So having gotten the classic like NFL combine, uh, that some of the stuff they throw out there about, you know, your mom or all that weird stuff, if you could read into that if you wish. Um, I haven't really gotten any. And then if the weirdest question I would ask someone at the job interview, I'd be like, hmm. If you had my job, what would you do with it? If you had my job, would you fire me? Kind of break their brain a little bit. I don't really have a good answer to that. I'm not the uh, not the most experienced job interview. I've had, you know, been fortunate to have some longevity here at this current position I've had, and uh, they didn't uh, they didn't uh, ask me any weird questions that I recall. But maybe I'm just forgetting. All right, Kyle Wilson checking in here with all of the new basketball coaches coming to the SEC. Which school will make the best decision on a coach? I actually think the Chris Jantire at Mississippi State is a pretty good one. I think Todd Golden at Florida, I saw that news, I think broke yesterday or throughout somewhere at some point through the weekend, the San Francisco head coach. Um, I think that's a good one. I I mean, that guy's kind of everywhere he's gone. He's won. Um, He's been in the SEC before as an assistant under Bruce Pearl at Auburn. So I think that's a pretty good fit. And then uh, we'll just kind of have to see the way the rest of this one shakes out. I don't think the winner or the winner to the answer of your question will be LSU. I will feel pretty safe in that assumption that uh, that's not going to be the most desirable job and that they will probably not get one of the better candidates. Also, I saw the uh, McMahon, the uh, Murray State coach, was interested in that gig. I can't for the life of me why. I don't know if he knows the NCAA exists. I don't know if he knows why uh, this job came open, but uh, more power to him. I don't necessarily see that one. I think that guy will get a better job and eventually wise up. But it's going to be an interesting offseason for SEC college basketball for sure. Let's see. Darren Chance. 
you watch any YouTube golfers like good, good since you were in Dallas? Um, no, I'm not totally familiar with what you're referencing, but I'm not big on the YouTube scene. Um, I will shout out Keaton Park, one of the park courses. I can't talk today. Park courses in Dallas. Um, pretty cool spot there. And uh, they, I know they do a lot of social media stuff. I'm big on their social media page. But as far as YouTube golfers, no. But uh, check out Keaton Park if you have it. It's pretty cool, uh, pretty cool setup they got going there. They're very much into the make golf fun thing. Uh, got like vinyl records blaring uh, when you walk in the pro shop. Uh, DJ for some like weeknight scramble deals. It's an interesting, uh, interesting vibe out there, but I like it a lot. Um, let's see. Luke Vauters, what's your favorite cut of beef? Parentheses steak. I guess I'll go filet medium. And how do you like it cooked? Boom, answer that for you. Chicken, dark meat or light meat? I'm going to go fried light meat is what you asked there. Will you ask Greg to carry pineapple plus jalapeno sausage, preferably venison? I will absolutely pass that message along. We'll get Greg on here for a grill corner um, soon. Uh, I'll probably do that in the next couple of weeks. Let March Madness get through, and then it'll be prom grilling and baseball season. So uh, how about that? We'll get Greg on there quick and get that squared away as far as grill corner. Let me make sure I didn't miss any. Greg checking in here. Have you ever hit a driver off a beer can before as he – Gives me a John Daly gif. I have not, but uh, we can try that next time I'm back in Oxford. How about that? Um, let's see. I think that was all of them. There we go. Greg, bookending the podcast. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We'll be back this week. I think I'm going to have a special Tuesday show. I think I'm going to record with Weldon Rodenberg on Monday night uh, as Ole Miss starts spring football on Tuesday. So be on the lookout for that. We'll have uh, some Tennessee series preview and a uh, mailbag Friday for you there at the end of the week as well. So if you made it to the end of the show, I appreciate you making it this far. Thanks for making us a part of uh, the early part of your week. And uh, I enjoy the, doing these conversations and uh, recording these pods with Colin as always. And we're uh, just beginning. We got nine more of these uh, in the regular season. And then however far this goes in the postseason for the Rebels. So appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, we'll catch you on Tuesday.